Qu'est-ce qui t'empêche de me tuer hein La sanction doit être plus sévère. Il reviendra, vous croyez J'en sais rien. Pourquoi tu as filé À cause de Ben Tu devrais le craindre autant que moi. Je ne vous enterrerai pas. J'ai déjà enterré assez de membres de la famille Wayne. Ces gens-là ont beau réclamer, tu ne leur dois plus rien. Tu leur as déjà tout donné. Pas tout, justement. dit de ne pas monter dans la voiture d'un étranger. Ce n'est pas une voiture. Hey everybody, it's another Bad Fans podcast. Uh, this is episode number 20... Come on, you're close. <laughs> Two, right? There you go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Finally, I got one right. Yeah. Uh, my name is Dane. Oh wait, I'm introducing myself, man. I never introduce myself on these things. <laughs> Because I always interrupt, like I just did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, but what were you saying, Tim? I was going to say, nothing happens significant in your life when you're 22, are you, though? <laughs> uh, no, not really, because okay. everything is past. I think the next big thing is when you retire. <laughs> It'll be episode 75. <laughs> <laughs> right. All right, so we have Tim with us. Wait, wait, but we have to make sure it's you, Tim. Because, I mean, I don't know, it could be some guy that killed Tim and replaced him or <laughs> something. So, Tim. Yes, let me have this test. Who was the director of photography for Attack of the Clones? I believe that would be someone named David... Tattersell, I believe. Okay, it's Tim. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And we also have Terrence with us. But just in case somebody killed Terrence and took his spot, like his brother, because they both sound the same. Um, Terrence, what is the 22nd Amendment of the United States Constitution? Uh-oh, you got me on that one. <laughs> it's not Terrence. It's not Terrence, because Terrence well, would have known this. Yeah, I haven't had to do the Constitution in a while. I've been teaching world history. Um, <laughs> okay. Yeah. It's not Terrence. Um, All right, pick him off right now. <laughs> yeah, Tim, drop this quote-unquote Terrence. No, but it, it's it's definitely Terrence because nobody would uh, sacrifice their Saturday to record a Batman <laughs> podcast. Ah. Uh, Tim and myself. <laughs> yes, and if you want to know, I, I looked it up real quick on Wikipedia. It was term limits for the president, so there we go. <laughs> okay. Okay, yes. cool. And anyone who knows me and knows my love of Wikipedia would know that that's what I would do. So, yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so how have you guys been these past two weeks? I haven't talked to you guys in these past two weeks, so how are you guys doing? I'm doing great. Besides a few... Weeks of a hectic work schedule. Some cool things happened for me this last week, so I'm pretty excited. <laughs> <laughs> some some pretty cool things. Yeah, so, so what are you talking about when you say 
these cool, two cool things. Well, first, I scored some tickets for my favorite band, 311, to see him at a very small club in L.A. where I found out tickets sold out in 30 seconds, so I scored that. Oh. Wow. And then I got confirmation, finally, that I'll be able to attend the Dark Knight Returns Part 2 premiere in L.A., which is going to be cool. I also cool. found out Kevin Smith is going to be moderating that event, so that should be fun. And then last but not least, a certain movie <laughs> finally got its director, <laughs> and I'm super excited. <laughs> oh, Tim. I was just about to send you a text when when you sent me the text that said it's official. <laughs> yeah. uh, so, what do you think about J.J. Abrams? Uh, I think it's a great choice. I mean, I haven't seen all his movies. Really, the only movie I saw was Star Trek, which I like, but just... Right. The fact of the passion that he always showed for Star Wars and how he credits that for him becoming a filmmaker and how he loves it so much, I just think he's the perfect director to be doing it. So I think it's going to be awesome. Just can't That's cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you see, I was the exact opposite. I was more yes. like, oh, God, J.J. Abrams. I mean, yeah, he did the Star Trek, which was good, but... I don't know. I, I I didn't like his Mission Impossible, and I didn't like Super Eight whatsoever. So I was like, oh god, if it's if it's gonna be J.J. Abrams, like Gary said, I would never consider suicide an option for me. <laughs> but there there might be a special circumstance. But you know, wow. uh, <laughs> Star Wars made me you know uh, re-examine his filmography and. I'm totally comfortable with it. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, good to know that you changed like your attitude changed like that in the day, <laughs> like from yeah. being depressed and to be all on board, excited. Awesome. I know. I th- I thought I was a hardcore fan, but contemplating suicide over <laughs> just the naming of the director <laughs> before there's even like a preview or a trailer or <laughs> anything. That's hardcore. <laughs> the only way I would have thought of that is if Joel Schumacher got announced. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Brett Ratner, or yeah. whatever I guess. <laughs> you guys heard of that guy, uh, Ooh, I think his name is Uwe Ball or something like that, who directed all those horrible <laughs> video game movies? <laughs> House of the Living Dead or, or something like yeah, that, whatever Blood that was. Rain. Blood Rain. <laughs> In the name of the king, one and two. Yeah. <laughs> all these, first these did, they were actual movies, but now they're just all direct-to-DVD movies. <laughs> <laughs> How does he get financing for his films? Because I doubt they make that much money. That's what I like to know. Yeah, how does he keep getting these gigs? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, else he self-finances like like George Lucas. But well, maybe because they look so and, cheap in quality. <laughs> he might not be too surprising. <laughs> oh, God. Well, to celebrate yesterday, I watched um, Star Trek Nemesis. That was the last movie they made before the reboot where Tom Hardy is the villain. Yeah, that's right. uh, Yeah, I just kept watching. I can't believe that's Bane. And then my kids came in. I'm like, see that guy there? That that was the guy who plays Bane. And they're just like, what? No way. They were just shocked. And and, uh, it's pretty amazing that that was Bane. And that is – there's a reason they rebooted the franchise after that movie. (laughs) So, But uh, the the, the reboot I thought was awesome. So I think J.J. Abrams will – I, it might not make every fan happy because everyone has different tastes and everybody's looking for different things, but at least it'll be high quality. Nothing's worse when something comes out and it's a joke. It's okay if it's not what you would want, but when it's a joke like Batman and Robin, that's just the worst. So at least at least we know the, the film will be high quality and, you know, Disney will give it a good budget and the special effects will look awesome. So um, I can't wait. 
Every every day is a day, one day closer. <laughs> that's a good way to look at it. I haven't thought of that before, but then you, I think you sent the tweet about like that. It's like, yeah, that's a good attitude to have. <laughs> yeah. So what would you do if you found out that this was just a, a terrible, terrible mistake on Lucasfilm's part that this got announced when, in fact, it was false? <laughs> <laughs> After they officially announced that they have to do a bunch of retractions. Oh wait. <laughs> yeah. It's like, wait, you remember what we said JJ Abrams was gonna direct? We uh screwed up the name, it's actually Brett Ratner. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. <laughs> I don't even want to imagine that. <laughs> Everyone's uh, gonna die in the movie like X Men The Last Stand. <laughs> yeah. So that was pretty bad. Hey, uh, I got one. Uh, the, I guess last weekend I got like a new um, bed, so I was putting it together, all the bed framing, and I was listening to our last podcast uh, while I was doing it, and my um, not on the speakers, not on the headphones. So my wife kind of like heard it. She's like, "Is that your podcast?" And I was like, "Yeah." She's like, "Don't you think it's a little narcissistic to listen to yourself?" And I was like, "Nah, it's all right. As long as you're awesome, it's great." You know. And then she just kind of rolled her eyes and she went in the other room for a minute. And then uh, Gary's singing uh, the Taylor Swift song came on, and she just kind of like peeked her head and she's like, "What is that?" And I tried to explain it a little bit, but she just kind of like rolled her eyes, like, "I don't know what you do on that thing." So. Uh, uh, my wife has this idea that we're, like, singing songs to each other and stuff. <laughs> and then it's funny, too, because she always asks me questions. Like, we talk for hours with each other, but it's all about Batman. Because Batman, she'll ask me questions about you guys. She's like, so, you know, what does Dane do for a living? I'm like, I don't know. She's like, oh, is, where's Tim live? I'm like, I don't know. Is he, is he married? Is he have a no, I don't know. So, she, I'm like, so, I don't know. I really don't know anything about I'm like, I know what his favorite episode of the Batman animated series is. And she, so. That's all that really matters, though. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Anyways, how about we switch things up, and uh, how about we talk about our favorite Batman comic event for Terrence's wife so that she can get to know Tim a little better? Yes. <laughs> um, so, so what is your favorite Batman comic event? So for me, for... Any- Nightfall. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I knew it. You know <laughs> yeah, because anyone who's listened to the first episode or any of the early episodes of the podcast heard me mention how Nightfall is what got me into, like, it was my first Batman big story arc event that where I started collecting the comics. So I pretty much have that, I have to credit that story for making me a comic collector, really. I mean, I remember getting it just because mainly Batman uh, was part 11 of the Nightfall story, uh, where Bane actually broke his back. And then I kind of had to go backwards and get start from part one and all the way up to part ten, and then started getting them as they came out each month. But I just remember, like, the first part of that issue, by the time I got it, it was, like, the comic store I had, or where I went to, was selling it for, like, ten bucks. So, like, all the early issues were pretty expensive. So it kind of took me a while to get the first few issues, because I was ten years old. I just had to save my allowance <laughs> to get the comics. But I just remember just loving the, the story, just being intrigued by what led up to this character Bane infiltrating Wayne Manor and breaking Batman's back and just wanted to go back and read how it led up to that. And then I just love how each issue focused on a different villain that Bane broke out of Arkham and Batman's trying to stop him. First issue was Mad Hatter. Then you got Ventriloquist, Joker and Scarecrow team up to kidnap the mayor. Takes on Firefly. There's Poison Ivy. Just as a 10-year-old kid and just being really into the animated series at that time and seeing 
pretty much the first time characters I saw from the animated series in the comics, like Scarecrow and Poison Ivy. This is kind of my first exposure to them in the comics. I just, just have really cool memories of just collecting that whole series and leading up to the eventual, I think it was part 19, when Batman 500, where Azrael gets his new suit, defeats Bane, and then at, at the time I thought that suit was really cool. It was like, oh man, this is like a really cool new Batman. <laughs> I didn't really, the fact that Bruce Wayne wasn't Batman at that time, that didn't really matter to me as a 10-year-old kid, but <laughs> I just enjoyed it for what it was. And Unfortunately, I think the next stories afterwards, like Night's, Night Quest and leading up to Night's End, this went on a little bit too long for it to wrap up. But when it got to the point of Night's End where Bruce was training with Lady Shiva to come back and retake the mantle from, Ad, from John Ball Valley, then just that final confrontation they had was really cool. So I think it started off really good. Maybe went on a little too long with the Night Quest stuff, but then wrapped up really good. So this, I'd probably have to have that as my favorite. It pretty much got me into collecting comic books, and I'll, I'll always have a special place in my heart amongst Batman comics. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously. Yes. <'Cause, laughs> yeah, I don't... I hate to let you down, Tim. I know. I think so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but You're not the first person I've heard say this, so... I know that okay, good. A lot of people I'm not alone. like it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, my favorite Batman comic event was probably the first uh, big crossover that I actually collected all the issues of, which was the Bruce Wayne murder, and then that transitioned into Bruce Wayne Fugitive. I think this was back in like 2000 or 2001, and uh, that was the first time that I actually realize that crossovers mean the story crosses over into different <laughs> books, into different Batman books. Like, I didn't know that before. And, you know, a couple of years ago, I pulled out the issues again. And I think there's like 34 or 35 issues of the of the crossover. And um, I don't like the story. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like it. I mean, it starts off good. I... I really like how it starts off, you know, the ten, it, it started off in a ten, the, a ten cent adventure book where, you know, it's just ten cents for the entire issue. And then it starts off with the murder and, and Bruce Wayne has to go on the run. And then it, it just takes a turn that it's so hard to believe. And it's, yeah, it's just weird. But, um, for nostalgia reasons, I, I think that that's my favorite. Uh, comic event or favorite Batman memory. See, well, my fault. I, that's probably my favorite for nostalgia. I still think the story of that one is really good, though. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but Terrence, what is yours? Well, I'm gonna copy Tim a little bit and go with Nightfall as the biggest <laughs> event. I would not say this is my f- favorite storyline, uh, but as an event, it was pretty amazing. Now I'm. I'm about a decade older than you guys. So when Nightfall came out, I was in college and I had been reading, you know, Batman comics since middle school. So I've been reading for probably about like eight years there or so, almost a decade. Um, and so it was a big deal because I looking back on it, Nightfall doesn't hold up as well. But at the time, um, at the time, DC was getting its butt kicked by Image Comics and uh, Marvel Comics and the sales. And all the, the articles, like if you read the articles that were out, like Wizard Magazine, were all saying that DC was too old and their characters were too old-fashioned and they were too stale and static. And 
I don't know if that was the writers or I don't know if that was the editors not wanting to take risks, but, you know, the books kind of felt that way. So right before Nightfall, they did the whole Death of Superman where Superman completely changed. And then there was this kind of this feeling of that, that DC was going to totally revamp their lineup and make a new Superman, make a new Batman. So as Nightfall was coming out, it, it had that feeling of like, well, this is going to be a new Batman. There'll be no more Bruce Wayne. This will be like the, when they change from the Silver Age to the Golden Age. Um, looking back on it now, that seems kind of naive and kind of stupid. And you think, well, there'll always be Bruce Wayne. But at that time, right at that moment, you actually thought that this could be a big change. Um, and it was pretty cool buying all the books. I was buying like two or three copies of every book. And then you'd go to the comic book store the next week, and the book you had just bought the week before for like a dollar was now selling for like, as Tim said, $10. So not only was it a, a cool event, but I thought I was going to be rich. I was like telling everybody, yeah, buy three copies, buy four copies, because, you know, and when we're all driving Ferraris, you know, in a couple of years, it'll be thanks to comic books. And there, there was even like articles out, like why comic books were a better investment than the stock market and all this stuff. And all that turned out to be crap in the end. But, um. I'm curious to see how much those comics are actually worth now oh god you know every now and again i'll look in uh the comic book store and they'll be like in the dollar bin and i'll just be like oh but i've got four of these at home and you know uh but the covers were awesome it was at, at a time before the internet really took off so you even the solicitations took a while to get you could get the solicitations in in preview magazine but even that even that was not as um uh, it did not come out as, as quickly as it does on the internet where you get them the next day. It'd take you a while to get it. And so you really didn't know what was coming the next few months and you could maybe get a glimpse of a future cover. Um, and they had come out with a picture of the Asbats like two or three months before it came out. And it was like, this is the new Batman. And so there's a lot of excitement over how's it going to happen. People who are buying DC, uh, people who are buying just Marvel and the image stuff started picking up DC and they were buying the Superman title and they were buying the, the Batman. And there's a great on the, the, the first, uh, DC, uh, direct to video movie, the Superman doomsday, which is not really the greatest movie, but they have a whole, yeah. Um, documentary on it about how crazy things went when the Superman, uh, death of Superman line came out and like, you know, lines wrapped around the building at comic book stores and stuff like that. Um, and that's how it was also for Nightfall as, as well. Um, but you know, when you read it now, it doesn't hold up as well. You know, and, and if you read it one after another, it's kind of awkward because every first page is a recap of what happened. But they had to do that because every issue they were getting so many more readers and so many new readers and so many people jumping in on part seven and part eight. Um, and it really took the focus away from Marvel and Image and back on DC, which was always my favorite, and Batman, which was always my favorite. So it was, it was a pretty awesome time. So as a story, it doesn't, I don't think it holds up as well as some of the other classic stories. Uh, the other thing I loved about it too was that it, like, it had all of, um, Batman's villains in it. Uh, before that, it was always like the villain of the month and then, or they'd have like a three part story with Scarecrow, but the villains never really interacted much with each other. You know, they were, they were nice enough to, you know, fight Batman one at a time and, you know, never all at once. And here it was kind of Bane breaks them all out and they're all loose and Batman's got to, um, take care of all of them and they're interacting. Um, and so that made it something new, which now they've done that 
again with Hush, and there's been a lot of storylines where they've had multiple villains, but at the time, that was kind of a new thing, which was pretty cool. And then it led into some really good stories after that with Prodigal and uh, Zero Hour took place a little bit after that. Um, and I, I kind of like the ending, too, of, of Nightfall, how he kind of um, beats John Paul Valley kind of using more his intelligence yeah. and kind of tricking him with the light um, than just actually putting a, a beat down on him or something like that. So uh, it, it was pretty cool. Um, so I'll, I'll go with Nightfall as well. So Daniel lost two to one. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because, um, you know, when I was a kid, I used to tell people that Dick Grayson died in Nightfall. Yeah. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, because I... I I thought he died in Nightfall, and um, I guess I just wanted to <laughs> make like I read it <laughs> without actually reading it. But um, yeah, I used to go around. Funny, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I used to go around and be like, you know what? Um, Dick Grayson dies in Nightfall. And uh, little did I know I was dead wrong. That was also the first series where I started, where I found out about uh, Tim Drake as Robin. That's when, uh, after reading those, I kind of got the first. I know he had like a few different miniseries issues. Just titled mm-hmm. Robin, I collected all those. There was one that had like those uh, those hologram type covers on there, where like if you move it, it's would it was like switch his position or something like that. Yeah, that was Robin too, the Joker's Wild. Oh, yeah. oh no, I'm sorry, no interrupt. But the the Joker one, he had the Joker's Wild, which was two where they had um like hologram stickers yeah. on it, and then they had the Robin three, which was like Cry of the Huntress or something, and that had the ones where you could move, yeah. move them up and down to make the move. Yeah. Now, those ones are actually ones I had two of where one I didn't open for the same reason that you thought it was probably worth something. It's a special. Yeah. The one that I did open. I've got yeah, like eight of those sitting at home. Yeah. I remember it, that one too. Like I think the villain was KGBs in that one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, oh, this is like Robin's Bane. <laughs> like, yeah. Batman when it gets Bane. This is awesome. <laughs> But I don't remember too much of those stories. Yeah, it was actually the Sword of Azrael, which which taught me the the lesson in comic book value, because I bought the first two issues of that and didn't like it, and uh, so never bought the miniseries. So when Death, uh, when um, Nightfall was going on and books were going crazy in price, that first Sword of Azrael was worth sixty dollars, and I think I paid a dollar for it. So I took it down to the the comic book store to sell it. I'm like, aha, I'm getting sixty bucks here. And uh, the guy's like, okay, well, I'll buy this. And he's like, and I had one and two with me. He's like, well, I don't want two because there's a it was like the tiniest little crease in the corner. And he's like, yeah, this is no good. I can't buy this. And that one was like thirty bucks. So that and then. Uh, He's like, all right, I'll buy this. It's going for sixty dollars, so I'll give you thirty for it. And I was like, what? You're supposed to give me sixty for it? He's like, no, I sell it for sixty. I give you half of what it's worth. It's like, oh, so I sold it for thirty, and then um, now bad. it's yeah. Considering that it's worth like three dollars now, it's not that bad. Um, but uh, yeah, that that taught me a harsh lesson that the. What it's worth in the price guide is not what someone will like just automatically pay you for it the day you decide to sell it. So yeah, it's, it's funny that you bring that up to show how as little kids how much we don't know about what comics are worth. I remember one time we were a little uh, maybe my brother and my cousin she had the trade paperback of it, uh, Death in the Family, mm-hmm. and she tried selling that. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. So the comic I was saying how this is like where Robin died. This is going to be worth something. Like all the issues are in here. He's like, oh, this isn't the original one. Plus, it's a trade. This is I really can't buy this for anything. <laughs> yeah, it's so heartbreaking when you're yeah. You're like, I mean, well, I mean, not so much that, but like when 
you're in your comic shop and like somebody thinks that they got something and uh, it turns out to be worthless. <laughs> yeah. Like they'll bring in like a statue or a comic from the seventies or something. <laughs> yeah. It's like uh, uh, I was telling Tim this, but um, a couple weeks ago or, or so, I think it was last year. I was in my comic shop. I just bought my comics and I was flipping through them, you know, <laughs> reading some. And <laughs> this guy comes in, this older man with his wife. He comes in and he says that he has. X-Men number one, and then I'm like, oh, that's pretty cool, and then I, I was thinking, oh, i got to check this out, so I go, and I check it out, and it's the it's X-Men number one, but it's the one when where, um, I, I guess Marvel Comics rebooted X-Men in the 90s or something. Yeah. <laughs> Is it the one by Jim Lee with the four I, covers? Yeah. Yeah, I think it was, I okay, think that yeah. was it, but I was like, oh. That's worthless. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I thought I was going to see X-Men 1, but... I don't know. When you say he was kind of an older guy, too, he really didn't know. Yeah, yeah, because... Comic. Yeah, I thought he maybe he bought one, you know, back when he was younger and just kept it hid away and then realized it was worth a lot of money. And what's even worse is when um, my comic book store is upstairs in, like, a, a strip mall, and some people come in and they lug, like, like seven long boxes up the stairs. Oh, man. <laughs> And, uh, you know, the guy behind the counter goes through all of them, and he, maybe he buys three. <laughs> oh, <wow. laughs> uh, it's uh, it's kind of heartbreaking. <laughs> the sad story of comic book collectors. <laughs> yeah. It's usually worth nothing. <laughs> yeah. Just, just get them because you enjoy them, not because they're going to be worth anything. Unless you have Action Comics number one and Detective Comics number 27. <laughs> yeah, unless it's before World War II. Yeah. It's not worth that much, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I wonder how much Detective Comics number one is. If it's worth as much as 27, or if it's just, uh, you know... I don't think it's as much as 27. Yeah, yeah, I wouldn't think so. But anyways, um, was there anything else you guys wanted to say about the comic event thing? How would you guys think, like, Batman's track record has been with these events as far as them being good and bad? I mean, you got, like, No Man's Land, the more recent stuff, like uh, R.I.P. and Court of Owls and... Certain stuff. Do you think his track record has been pretty good as far as having good story events? I think for the most part, yeah. Of course, there's going to be some ones that are disappointing, but for me, anyway, I think most a lot of his event stories have been pretty cool. Yeah, I'm with you, Tim. What about you, parents? Yeah, I think the ones where it's just Batman, it's been really successful. I think when it's been Batman and they've tried to include the rest of the DC universe and get him involved, like in you know, Infinite Crisis and things like that, it, it kind of, uh, it suffers. But um, the, uh, just the Batman ones, I think, have been pretty awesome. All right, cool. So we can move on to the Batman solicitations for April. Speaking of comics. Did you guys yes. like anything? <laughs> yeah, speaking of comics. I forgot the segue, Tim. Thanks for reminding me. No, no, yeah. no. I'm talking, uh, I'm talking Lake Yoda. <laughs> yeah. So. There you go. You're forgiven. <laughs> Was there anything you guys liked? I have to say, of course, every time we do these solicitations, that one number 19 cover, pretty freaking awesome. Even though it's yeah. a Trevor McCarthy art uh, cover, it's yeah. still freaking awesome. That is, yeah. I think art-wise, for all the solicitation covers, that one's definitely one that stood out. <laughs> yeah, especially especially the, back, especially the clouds in the background. Yeah. I really like that. Yeah, Great coloring. It's really cool. What did okay. you guys like? The thing about these are we're only seeing half the cover because this will be the month where DC does that fold-out cover. So you, there's, you see half, and then there's – so some of them are kind of 
made so that you're wondering what the other half is. So um, it's a little hard to tell. Um, I did the thing that jumped out at me was the Red Hood and the Outlaws because his um, mask is like contaminated there, and it says what horrors lie beneath the mask of the Red Hood. And in the Red Hood this month, the Joker was messing with the Red Hood mask. So I'm not sure if that is some fallout from death of the family. Um, and then there's been a lot of speculation about maybe Robin dying in death of the family. And on which one is it? Uh, Batman and Robin 19. You see Batman, but you see just a little piece of a yellow cape. And so there's been some speculation of is that Damon, did he survive? Or is that some people have been even speculating a new Robin, which I doubt there'd be a new Robin that quick if you kill the other Robins. I don't think Damon's going anywhere, but I think they're trying to make you, you know, kind of trying to add that mystery to it. But other than that, it seemed pretty, nothing really jumped out at me too, too much. Yeah, for me, there were two things that jumped out at me. First of all, for a Batman number 19, just the description of it where it says, who would cause Bruce Wayne to use a gun? And you know me with Bruce and any one part of that family members using gun is a big deal. So I want to, I'm really curious to know what the reason is going to be. Is it because of what happened in the events of death of the family that he's just going all off and for some reason yeah. decides to use a gun? So I'm really curious about that. And then also with Detective Comics number 19, I mean, the big thing about this one is that if there was no new 52, this would actually be Detective Comics number 900. And so yeah. they're treating that, that as a 900. <laughs> And it's going to be like an 80-page comic that's going to be 7.99. So even though it's not really 900, it's still treating it that way, which I think is kind of dumb. Yeah, I, I so wish it was just they they just renumbered that one for 900. But. Yeah, but at the same time, they always say, "Well, nobody would take it seriously that we're fully resetting everything." But yet, at yeah. the same time, they're still keeping things from the old continuity. That yeah, you know, so it's like they, have, they should have just kept the original numbers. I'm sorry. Well, I had heard in an interview with Dan DiDio that he had said he wanted to reboot every comic to back to one except Detective yeah. Comics and Action Comics, but he was outvoted for that. They said no one would take it serious unless he did those ones, but still, you know, Marvel does that a lot, especially with Spider-Man. They'll they'll reboot it, and they'll have the new numbering, and then when they hit a milestone, then all of a sudden it'll be Spider-Man 600 again or stuff. So um, these not, when I was a kid, I used to think the numbering meant something, and now I realize they can just put any number they want on it. It doesn't matter. They can put a zero. They can put a million. They can put, you know, zero again. So it, Yeah, uh, the, the thing is that for detective in action, those numbers really did mean some, which is kind of like yeah. you were sad to see those get reset. Especially yeah. if they're so close to a thousand. <laughs> yeah. I think if anything is one they'll reset it, it's gonna be if action hits a thousand. Because I didn't that's never been done before in comics, so I still think it's dumb why they're trying to celebrate nine hundred issues for nineteen for the eighty page or seventy page uh, or no it's eighty and then selling it at a higher price. I just think it's dumb. Yeah. And it's eight ninety nine if you want the combo pack. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you also get a digital download if you buy the print version for free, right? Yeah. Did I read that? Yeah. Uh, yeah, right. yeah. Oh. Redemption code for a digital download. But still, I don't think it's worth it when it's not 900. <laughs> <laughs> so was there anything else that stuck out stuck out um, to you guys? Uh, not really. As far as the covers go for this, the solicitations for April, I don't think it's not the best batch we've seen before in these solicitations where uh, there was a lot of cold cover art. These are just kind of I don't know, generic stuff. A lot of it's just Batman posing. Yeah. <laughs> That's all you need, really. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, I wanted to point out Birds of Prey, number 19. 
Um, do you guys have the solicitations open in front of you? Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. Look at Barbara's uh, forearms. <laughs> Don't they look weird? Like they're they're like man forearms <laughs> on a woman's body. <laughs> yeah, her I arms just look way it, too yeah. long. Yeah. <laughs> she's doing that like uh, field goal. Even her fingers look kind of weird. Yeah. yeah. It's like she's trying to do the Vulcan. Uh, yeah. Who did that? Uh, Adrian CF and. Vincentes Fuentes. Uh, I usually like his art too. I'm surprised. That's who Adrian Ciaf. Yeah. Oh. You're not a fan. No, not really. Oh, okay. But the injustice, <laughs> the injustice got among us. Number four cover is pretty awesome. Yeah, they're all going for a swim. <laughs> yeah. Maybe they're looking for Aquaman. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, we should move on to some uh, heart warming news. Would that make sense? Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, apparently, Christian Bell called uh, this huge Batman fan. I think his name is... Zach. Zach. Zach is fighting leukemia, and apparently Christian Bell called him on the phone, and they had a nice little conversation. It seems like Christian Bell has been doing this a lot lately. First, he visited the Aurora Memorial. Then he called... Or he... Uh, he brought that kid to Disneyland, mm-hmm. and then now he does this. So, yeah, it just shows that Christian Bale is a good guy. <laughs> yeah, like, could he get any cooler? <laughs> you think yeah. just playing Batman would be enough? But then he does all this stuff. Like it's awesome. <laughs> I just uh, when you see the video, it's just cool to see how he tries to uh, lift the kid's spirit. Is saying like, yeah, you and me both played Batman. I played Batman, and then you got to play Batman. And it just, that's what's great about the character. I just think it's really cool how he included the kid in that. Like, he, he's part of one of the people who's got to play Batman. It's really cool how he did handle the situation. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's one point in the video where he, where the kid is talking about, uh, his Batmobile collection. Mm-hmm. Like, he built, like, a cardboard box and he made his own Batmobile yeah. or something. I was like, oh, that little kid. Yeah, like, I why did we think could, of that? Yeah. Yeah, why don't we do that? <laughs> Yeah, the kid's only eight, too, so, I mean, that was a cool thing to do. I mean, it's horrible that he's got to go through that at eight, but, you know. Right. The, the thing that I thought of is, if you remember, like, a couple years ago, like, there was a lot of bad press about Christian Bale because someone had recorded that rant he did yeah. on the set of Terminator where he was just going off and there. But I just think he's, like, just a really intense actor. Like, if you watch some of those behind-the-scenes, I know you don't watch the behind-the-scenes stuff, Dane, but now, <laughs> uh, the, uh, you know, he talks about, like, how, like, the Batman mask in Batman Begins gave him these, like, severe migraine headaches, and he was just like, I'm just going to use it for the character. I'm just going to use it, you know. Yeah. So I think some of that intensity... And some of that, just how serious he is about it, kind of rubbed people the wrong way and made people think that he was just a, a total jerk. And um, I think they're showing a lot of this stuff to show that he's actually a pretty decent guy. He just, you know, everybody has a bad day now, you know, and yeah. um, everybody's had a rant. So. He, he, yeah, he yeah. was just frustrated. And, I mean, he's human. Come on. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm sure that stuff happens a lot, but this this one just happened to be recorded, which is why I got all right. Publicized everything. Even when that whole thing with the Terminator rant happened, he like called the, the local radio station here in LA, to, like the morning show, and he's like calling, yeah, I mean, I'm sorry about it. I hope this doesn't affect the movie, but I want you guys to keep making fun of it, keep playing the clips, like, uh, like just have fun with it. So, like, even that he had like a good attitude towards the, the mistake that he made and recognized it. So, yeah. Right. So, anyways, that was a nice little story. But, um, let's move on to, 
Um, the the Batmobile sold the the 1966 Batmobile sold for for 4.6 million dollars, um, which is a ton of money for uh, just a regular car with the bat signal on it. I was gonna buy it for 4.5 million, but I couldn't go to 4.6. So. <laughs> yeah, so apparently the creator of the 1966 Batmobile, George Barris, um, put the car up for sale after years of turning down large sums of money for the car. Um, and apparently it was just sitting in his studio for the past, what, 50 years, 40-something <laughs> years. <laughs> um, but yeah, now it can be on display, and this this guy, Rick Champagne, who bought the... The, the car, he apparently has plans to put it in his living room on display. Wow, which, yeah, wow. he must have a big living yeah. room. And big doors because, you know, you got to get that thing through through the front doors, right? I know. You think you just <laughs> deck your garage out to look really cool, make it like the Batcave and have the Batmobile in there. <laughs> but your living room? <laughs> now he has to label everything in his li- living room, like Bat computer and... <laughs> That yeah. coffee table. <laughs> now he has to put a pole, a sliding pole in his living room. Yeah, yeah. Two story house. <laughs> I don't know if I bought that thing, I would be driving it around. I, <laughs> I, know. I don't know if I could just like sit in it. Yeah. I wonder if it even runs because it's been sitting there in the guy's studio for forty years. Hasn't been started. I doubt. <laughs> you guys remember that Simpsons episode where Adam West was on? Yeah. Or does the snowplow Mr. Plow and he pulls out on the Batmobile it's all rusty the engine blow <laughs> but if I was to buy if I had this money I wouldn't have bought this Batmobile though the 89 one's the one to get <laughs> yeah well I have a, a quick Batmobile story if, well not that quick but if you guys have a second um, the uh Back, this is going back to like probably like '85. So before the '89 movie came out, there was only one Batmobile. It was just the '60s Batmobile. But if you watch the like the behind the scenes stuff, I know you don't watch that, Dane. But on the um, Dark Knight uh, Rises, uh, uh, yeah, the Dark Knight Rises where they do the whole Batmobiles. Um, they had a couple of those Batmobiles for that show. So this, I think, was the the one that sold. I think was like the high performance, like close up real special one but they had a few of them for like long shots and those kinds of things and so back in like 85 i was like in fifth or sixth grade my dad came home from work and he worked um delivering packages like all over i I grew up on long island in new york so he'd go to like connecticut sometimes in new jersey so he comes home and we didn't have a lot of money he comes home and he had like a dozen roses for my mom which seemed really weird because like where do you get the money for that and he's like he comes home he's like yeah i got a story to tell you guys um and he's like, yeah, I went to deliver this package in New Jersey, in northern New Jersey, and uh, I'm, I'm walking up, and it's like this mansion. This guy's got this really nice house, and he had his garage open, and I, like, kind of peeked in, and I, I saw something interesting. So I go up to the door, and I ring the bell, and as I'm waiting there, the guy turned on his, like, sprinklers and, like, sprayed my dad and got him soaking wet. And the guy, like, jumped out of the door. He's like, aha, I got you. And then he like saw my dad. He's like, "Oh wait, you're not who I wanted." He's like, he's waiting for his friend to come. And my dad's like, "I'm here to deliver a package." So the guy's like, "Oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry." And he's like, "Can I get you anything?" And my dad's like, "Well, you could get me a towel. That'd be nice. I could dry off." He's like, "Sure." So he dries him off. So um, my dad figures like, "Aha, I I, I kind of got him a little bit. He owes me a little bit." So he's like, "My dad goes, so what's in your garage there? I, I thought I saw something." And he's like, "Oh yeah, come take a look." And he had 
one of the 1960s Batmobiles in his garage. He oh, had man. from the show, yeah. And so um, he's my dad's like, oh, it's cool. So since he soaked them wet, he's like, ah, I think I can, um, I think I can uh, use a le- little leverage. So he's like, oh, you mind if I sit in it? So my, he sat in it and everything. And uh, so then the guy felt bad, so he gave my dad a hundred dollar tip for the day, which in '85 was a, a lot of money. So that's where he got the money for the flowers. <laughs> and uh, and uh, so he come home. So the next day in school, it was like, yeah, my dad got to sit in the Batmobile and all this stuff. And my dad wasn't the kind of guy who would make up like stories like that or something. And plus, it, it was kind of kind of like. I guess if you go to school the next day and you're like, yeah, my dad sat in the Batmobile is not as made up a story as if like, oh, yeah, we own it now or something or he got it. Um, and so but then if you watch, there's that show Comic Book Men. Uh, and I think they, they filmed that in northern New Jersey. And on one of the episodes, they had the guy come with the Batmobile yeah, and was right. driving them around and stuff. So I wondered if that was the same guy from northern New Jersey with the same Batmobile that my dad sat in. But um, and that was at the time when that was the only Batmobile. Now I'm kind of like, man, too bad it wasn't the '89 Batmobile. But <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. Your dad didn't try to get him to give him the Batmobile because he sold him. <laughs> no, it would have been nice especially <laughs> to see what this one went for. And you know, it's it, it would have been better if it was like the days of cell phones where you could have like taken a picture or something. You yeah. know, <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's my Batmobile story. So. It, that was a good one. <laughs> All right. I wonder how much the tumbler is going to be worth in 40 years. Oh, wow. Yeah, I'm sure it'll be up there. <laughs> it's like a tank. Like, do you guys, does anybody want to buy a tank? <laughs> yeah. Like I said, if it had a big garage and you could put it on display, I mean, of course, it wouldn't want it, but to drive it. <laughs> <laughs> it's not even street legal. <laughs> <laughs> by that time, would you say 40 years of Batman Forever and Batman and Robin Batmobile will hopefully be forgotten? From memory, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm actually surprised that I, mean, I personally hate the design of the Batman Forever one, but was, a lot of people seem to like it. Just for some reason, just the design of it just doesn't feel like a Batmobile. Is it the neon right? the fact that you can the blue neon lights or just everything? Just the design of it, the shape of it, just the yeah. that has on there. Just, uh, just don't like how it looks. The one thing about that was um, that I noticed on the. Uh, the behind-the-scenes stuff for the Batmobile on the Dark Knight Rises is they said that the fin on the back could, like, open and close. Because sometimes in that movie, you see, like, one fin, and then on the back you see two fins. And I just thought that was a mistake they made. I thought I didn't realize it opened and closed on purpose. So that cleared that up. But, yeah, that's not my favorite. You just thought it was one of the many mistakes of that movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Especially yeah, when they, they go up the, the wall. One? Is that the one with the the wings on the back? Yeah. yeah. No. What was that for? <laughs> Aerodynamics? For driving up walls. <laughs> oh, God. It <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, does have that claim to fame. <laughs> no Batmobile in the comics or in movies or television has driven up a wall <laughs> until yeah. Batman Forever. It's such slow fashion, dude. <laughs> You know, there was a second where my heart stopped in uh, The Dark Knight Rises where he, like, uh, he's driving and he goes into the alley and then the guy's like, oh, you got, I think you got the wrong animal and he flies out with the bat. For a minute there, I thought he was going to climb up the wall. Like, and, and I'm like, oh no, oh no. And then when the bat came out, I was like, okay, good. <laughs> what was I thinking? But. Yeah. 
they pay homages to some stuff in the Nolan movies. I don't think they want to pay homages to Batman Forever. <laughs> I had heard that the the Bat the Batmobile going up the wall like that was to pay homage to the '60s show where they used to climb up the ropes yeah. on the wall. But um, yeah, that was. You know, that was one of the things where when I went to see the movie and I was in the theater, I was kind of like, oh, cool. And then real shortly after, I was kind of like, you know what? Maybe that wasn't cool. That was kind of lame. <laughs> and then the Riddler blew it up. Along with the rest of the Batcave. Yeah. Stupid. <laughs> but it did have great baseball sound effects as he blew it up. So, yeah. <laughs> Nothing's better than a supervillain pretending to spit and hearing this spittoon sound. <laughs> Yeah. With an organ playing in the background. Yeah. <laughs> Stadium themes. <laughs> oh, man. Grabbing his crotch and everything. Uh, we should have a new segment called Classic Moments from Batman Forever. We just bring out these random moments of the movie. <laughs> uh, if we did that, I think Dustin would just finally kick us off <laughs> of the Batman news Yeah. <laughs> And my friend Dan, who he commented on, I think he sent me an email or Facebook or something, but he, he was cracking up at work listening to it when we were talking about the Academy Awards, and we said um, Joel Schumacher should win the award for best use of nipples on a costume. <laughs> he said he almost lost it. So. The one person nominated for that award. <laughs> so by default, he would have to win. Yeah. I, love that. I went on Wikipedia to look up the Batmobile stuff here. And uh, at the very end of the whole Batmobile article, there's notes. And then it's notes. And it's like a little addendum. In Batman and Robin, Batman uses the bat hammer to battle Mr. Freeze and his henchmen through the frozen streets of Gotham City. <laughs> the, bat the, <laughs> the bat hammer is, comma, in essence, comma, a Batmobile for traveling on icy surfaces. It is 33 feet... 10 meters long and 6 feet, 1.8 meters high. The top speed is 100 miles per hour on ice. The bat hammer can move over enormous skids underneath. It also carries vertical stabilizers 3 meters long that can be directed upward in an emergency and used as a shield. <laughs> and, it's, and it has two sights for it. So who, who had the time that's, to put that on there? That's too much information <laughs> for that crappy Batmobile that was in it for yeah. like 5 seconds. <laughs> Yeah, which was made just so they could make a toy for it, probably. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, at least, uh, I mean, while we're on the topic of of movies, um, hopefully this will be a better one than Batman Forever and Batman Begins. Uh, but they, they don't need to try that hard. But the um, wait, did you say Batman Begins in that category? Oh, Batman Forever <laughs> and Batman and Robin. There you go. My bad. I'm sorry. Uh. The Latino Review, uh, which is the Latin perspective on movies and pop culture, say that they know that they know of the five core members of the new Justice League movie, which is, of course, Superman, of course, Batman, of course, Wonder Woman, and Green Lantern and The Flash. So, if you're a Martian Manhunter fan or a <laughs> Aquaman, fan. <laughs> Aquaman fan, you're going to be sorely disappointed in this in this interpretation yeah yeah when i first heard this of course it's, a, it's just rumor still obviously but uh right when i first heard this, i got five really that's it that seems a little too small but then when i saw like yeah it's superman batman wonder woman green lantern the flash those are pretty much the big main five superheroes of the dc universe that i really want to see as part of the justice league so it's not yeah. really that too much of a disappointment for me when you think about it too 
that's kind of the amount the Avengers had. I think they had altogether. Uh, I think it was five. Yeah, they had five in the main battle. Well, six. I forgot because you had Hawkeye, Black Widow, and Hulk. Of course, Iron Man, Captain America, Thor, and the movie flowed fine with just that amount of characters. So if the Justice League had like seven or eight with Martian Manhunter, or Aquaman, or Cyborg, or whoever, it may have been a little crowded <laughs> as far as yeah. giving everyone enough time. So I think five would probably be the best way to go. And if it is the roster of the five they mentioned, it's, of course, the big DC heroes, which everyone wants to see anyway. So I think it would probably be a smart move if it's just five. I think it also mentioned, too, that there may be a cameo of someone else. Like, maybe you'll see Martian Manhunter, but not really as part of the team just yet or something. So we'll see if it's all true. But I think five is definitely a good number to go with if they are going to do it that way. Yeah, and I finally seen – I finally saw – uh, the Avengers. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, that was alright. I mean, it was pretty much, you know, uh, oh, let's talk for a little bit. Okay, let's go fight some stuff. Let's talk for, for a little bit. Let's go fight some stuff. Let's go talk for a little bit. Let's go fight some stuff. <laughs> yeah. And, and. That's yeah, pretty I much mean, the movie to me. Yeah, it's not, it's not, it's not big for its, we're not gonna be known for its great plot or story or whatever. It's pretty basic, but. I mean, just the character racing of the characters, the interaction they had with each other was great, and then just, of course, the acting sequence at the end was awesome. Just seeing them all fighting together was, for me anyway, it was just really cool to see that on screen. Especially, of course, if we're mainly DC fans, but if you're a hardcore Marvel fan, it just must have been awesome to see Iron Man and Captain America. Like, when you see Iron Man use his beam with Captain America's shield spread all around, hitting all the aliens, <laughs> that was just awesome. I'm just hoping we get those same moments in a Justice League movie where everyone gets their proper amount of screen time to show off their abilities as it was in the Avengers. And I think a good thing about that was everyone had their moment to shine in that movie and showed off why those characters are cool. So I'm just hoping Justice League <laughs> is somewhat measures up to how that movie did as far as, as far as displaying all the characters who are in it. Yeah, I think the first X-Men stuck to five characters. If I remember, I'm thinking Wolverine, Rogue, Jean Grey, Cyclops, and Storm were kind of the five that the story revolved around, and that kind of worked, although, you know, they really shortchanged, you know, like Cyclops and Storm, and even Jean Grey's a little bit origin. They focused more on, you know, uh, the villains and then Wolverine and, and Rogue. So um, any more than that, since they're not doing the lead-in movies, it's just going to be too much origin story, yeah. too much. So they got they have to keep it simple. The only thing... I'm a little more interested in who will be playing it. That you know, which Green Lantern were they going to use? Um, as and also, it's the one thing I hope they don't do, which X Men did, is have these little cameos, but then like retcon it on the next movie. Like they do so much yeah. stuff where they like have like this little cameo of a guy, but then in the next movie he's someone completely different. And then you know, and oh, then even worse with like Kelsey Grammer as Beast Boy or whatever, whatever he is. And then they have this other guy in the yeah. first class. There's just a lot of stuff that doesn't match up in those movies. So um, I think there was like three Kitty Prides in all three X Men movies. <laughs> yeah, actresses and those kind of yeah, things. yeah. They did stuff like that. It just it that just got really annoying um so um hopefully they'll they'll kind of keep it together but um yeah until a director's named uh, i'll i think anything can change because if you get a big name director in there who's who's like i'll do this but you know growing up martian manhunter was my favorite character and i he's got to be in there or something yeah. they'll 
they'll you know the the the, the people at Warner Brothers care about one thing and that's making money. And so you know if if a director or a producer or somebody's coming in and saying no, you got to have this guy, they'll they'll change it. So the the thing that I the guy that I want is I would love if somehow Nolan became a part of all this, but um, that hasn't been announced, and wish I can only it. wish. Yeah, it's funny though. After the J.J. Abrams announcement of doing Star Wars, I've heard like some people saying, "Oh, if he could do Star Trek and Star Wars, that means Josh Whedon can do Avengers and Justice League." There is a possibility of that. <laughs> that happened. I would not be surprised. You know, so it'd be crazy if it did, though. But <laughs> at yeah. the same time, yeah, more wishful thinking. I wonder if uh, Peter Jackson is a, a comic book fan, or because he can handle. Yeah. With the Lord of the Rings trilogy and then The Hobbit, he can handle an ensemble cast pretty well and and knows. You know how to give each one just enough time and just enough of their origin or just enough mystery, and he actually handles strong women really well. So I think to do Wonder Woman justice, I would, Peter Jackson would be awesome, but who knows? Yeah, I'd agree with that definitely. But like you said, I think I think The Hobbit comes out 2014, the last one, so. It'd probably be too late <laughs> to get started yeah. with Justice League, unless they push it back. Uh, he's worth pushing it back for. Yeah, I, I would agree. <laughs> like you said, too, I wonder if he's even interested in, like, comic books or superheroes, because in some of the, like, behind-the-scenes stuff for Lord of the Rings, I never really hear him say, like, oh, he's, like, I, I read comic books as a kid or stuff like that. There's always that he loved films as a kid and all that, so it's interesting if he even has a desire to do a superhero movie. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, the only thing I ever heard him say was that he loved King Kong yeah. and he made the King Kong remake. Um, but that the interview, or not the interview, I'm sorry, the article um, from that Latino review was kind of even joking around in that article. Like they mentioned that, you know, Hawkman is like the Tim Tebow of the group and that he'll be cut and that um, Aquaman would be Vinnie Chase from, you know, Entourage where they did the Aquaman film. So even that wasn't a, a really like hard hitting, like, piece of investigative journalism that they had either. It was kind of more like almost even joking around about it too. So, you know, uh, I wouldn't, I would think that this is probably what they've come up with, but that it could change if, you know, somebody else had a, a good idea. The only thing I really don't want them to do is to like add a new character, like m- invent yeah, a character I for mean, the, just that m- the movie, you know, like that'd be pointless, really pointless. Yeah. I do not like Lord of the Rings. Another thing you disappoint me with, Dean. (laughs) (laughs) I have tried to watch those movies for, like, the past, like, eight years. (laughs) Really? I cannot get into them (laughs) at all. Well, I need to do something. Dan, I know you're listening. Take a breath. Don't throw your radio across the room. <laughs> My friend Dan listens every podcast. He he is the Lord of the Rings expert. So, really? Uh, yeah, oh, bad, I, Dan. I'm yeah. sorry. So... <laughs> You, Dan and, and my brother can start the We Hate Dane podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, oh, Dan, he, I, I, I'll send him a, uh, an email, like, for just a question, and he'll send me literally, like, four pa- paragraphs of explanation. Like, I sent him a question. I said, why is it when the, um, you know, the fellowship in the first movie goes to uh, the Mines of Moria, which are, you know, um, the, where the dwarfs are from, 
Why is it they have an elvish door and they have to know the elvish code if if the dwarves and elves don't like each other? And he sent me literally like four paragraphs explaining it <laughs> and correcting my grammar on it because I use like elves with a, a V and he's like, no, Token didn't like that. He likes it with the F and all this. Wow. So don't write elves with a, with a V and all. Yeah. And he's the nicest guy too. Like he doesn't, he's not a, a jerk or anything about that kind of stuff. But uh, yeah, he's he's pretty hardcore on it. So that's cool though. <laughs> Wait, I don't yeah. Know <laughs> Sorry, Dan. But um, <laughs> what don't you like about the movies, Dane? I just cannot get into them. Like they start, and you know, it starts in uh, you know the first movie. It starts in um, the Shire. Yeah, the Shire. <laughs> and, then, uh, <laughs> and they're not really doing anything. They're kind of just going about their business. And then the whole thing with the ring comes up. You know the um, Frodo inherits the ring, all that stuff. I was really into it at that point. That that's the point where I get into it, and then you know they go off, they're walking, and I, I mean I don't know. I just it, it feels inconsistent to me. All three movies. I don't know. It's just I don't, I'm I'm bored. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The simple way to say it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it's even like the 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 uh, the big battle in the second movie. It's kind of like it goes on for way too long. It's like, okay, we're setting up, we're getting our, we're drafting little kids into our little army. <laughs> yeah. and, then, and then it's like, um, you know, they get ready, they get their swords ready or whatever, and then they just sit there for a little bit. And then yeah, it's like, okay. And then, it builds the tension for this big, horrible battle that's about to come. Yeah, I know. I get that, but like, yeah, I get that, but it just goes on for too long. And it's like, okay, we need to do our war chant, those those orc guys. and uh, I think you probably they're not going to sit through the extended cuts then. <laughs> yeah. No, I, ha- I, oh, I watch the extended cuts, and it's like, ugh, it's more just waiting around, waiting for stuff to happen. No, it's more awesomeness, that's what it is. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyways... <laughs> Let's not talk about my disliking of Lord of the Rings <laughs> and uh, <laughs> bashing Dan, <laughs> his whole little, his whole thing. He's uh, like, right now, he's he's getting the Kleenex, he's wiping his eyes right now, he can't believe. <laughs> no, he's not doing that, he's booking a flight over here. Yeah. <laughs> he's <knocking> down. <laughs> he's going to tie you up and then make you love it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you watch these movies and you love them. Yeah. Otherwise, you're gonna die. But anyways, maybe Dan likes Injustice Gods Among Us. Do you think he he liked that, Terrence? I think he would. Who wouldn't? It's a video game where you get to be a superhero. I know someone who wouldn't. <laughs> oh, who wouldn't? Oh, <laughs> someone who doesn't like fighting games. <laughs> uh, but apparently, um, there will be three different editions of the Injustice Gods Among Us video game. There's going to be the standard version, which is um, the only version that will be available on the Wii U. And then there's the second collector, there's a collector's edition, which will be $99.99, and will include a statue of Batman and Wonder Woman fighting, a special edition version of the Injustice Gods Among Us comic book, a digital download code for the Justice League Doom animated movie, and three new 52 DLC skins for Batman, Wonder Woman, and Superman, which will make them look like the 
the characters in the comics. Which is a good thing, because I don't like their costumes that they have <laughs> for this game. <laughs> yeah, and uh, finally, the uh, there is the Battle Edition, which will cost $149, and will come with the three new 52 DC, uh, DLC skins for Batman, Wonder Woman, and Superman. Uh, uh an arcade fighting stick with art from the game, and that's it. Really, that's it? Yeah, you know what? I think the, <laughs> you get a better deal with the $99 collector's edition. I know. You get the, the book, you get the, the movie, you get the statue, you get the uh, DLC skins. Yeah. And I don't like using the fight, like fighting game joysticks and all that stuff anyway. Right. So I'm using it with the controller, so definitely I think the collector's edition is a better deal, but... Yeah, and the Battle Edition will only be available at GameStop, is it? Uh, probably more than likely. If it isn't exclusive somewhere, I'm sure it will be GameStop. Yeah, I, th- I think it's GameStop, and the Collector's Edition will be available uh, wherever you buy video games from. And also, it finally got its release date, which is April 16th. No, that's good. Yeah. If you are if you really want to play that game. It also got a new trailer. Uh, Tim, did you want to talk about this? Yeah, I mean, the big thing about the trailer, I think, is that it introduces Lex Luthor as a new playable character. But the thing that I took away from it that got me most excited was we finally got clear uh, clips of the voice actors for the main superheroes, and it sounds like a lot of them are from the Justice League animated series. That's definitely Kevin Conroy doing Batman, then you got George Newbern doing Superman, and Susan Eisenberg doing Wonder Woman, so that's another highlight for the game for me, just having the voice actors for the game, for the Justice League series for the game. So, so what exactly are they going to be voicing in the game? Well, there's going to be a story mode that's going to have cutscenes. Oh, I see. So they'll, yeah. of course, do that, and then just some of the grunts that they do when you're fighting. <laughs> <laughs> Kevin Conner is doing a grunt. <laughs> well, that guy doing the Joker is definitely not Mark Hamill. Yeah, though. unfortunately, uh, he didn't sound too good, <laughs> I have to say. But I think also it hasn't been officially revealed, but there's like a leaked screenshot from a magazine that showed Bane in there, so it looks like he's going to be a playable character, which I kind of figured he would be because of Dark Knight Rises and just probably how popular he was gotten from that. They might as well include him in the game. Yeah, did you guys feel that Bane hasn't taken off like the Joker did? Yeah, definitely not as much as the Joker did, yeah. Yeah, it's kind of like he's an afterthought now. I mean, he's not as popular as when the Joker was in the Dark Knight. It just feels like the the, the, the main thing... Oh, go ahead. if, If anything, he's there's more jokes about him because of the voice and all that. Right. But stuff everyone still complains about or is hard to understand. <laughs> but, yeah, definitely never reached the heights of the Joker that the Joker did in 2008. Well, I don't think he was as good as the Joker. I'm trying to, not trying to knock him, but, I mean, Heath Ledger was just amazing. And the Joker had a following before the movie even came out with Jack Nicholson and a lot of Joker comics where I think a lot of people didn't even know who Bane was. Yep. Uh, and the, the only other movie he was in, he was a complete joke. Uh, so, <laughs> but yeah, it's definitely not as popular as that Joker was. And even in the, even in the comic book front, he hasn't been in any comics since the stupid Dark Knight stories from the first yeah. two when that first launched. But yeah, well, you think they would have incorporated him into more stories from the comics. I was gonna say, did you see that office uh, episode where they had like the the Halloween special, yeah. <laughs> and, like three of them were dressed as him? Yeah, and, and, and that's how it was. Even this Halloween when I went out, there was a whole bunch of still Heath Ledger, Ledger jokers out there. Um, I didn't see any Banes, I don't think, but 
you know. Probably hurt too hard to make a good mask. Yeah, it's hard to say to trick or treat. <laughs> trick or treat. In that Star Trek Nemesis I was watching, you could hear a little bit of Bane in, in his voice, because he was trying to do like a Patrick Stewart inter- kind of a little bit, and you could hear a little Bane in it. But, um, yeah, it's kind of amazing that that's the same guy. All right, so I guess we can move on to our listener feedback section of the show. This is a new thing. And Terrence, did you want to head up this section? Yeah, definitely. All right, so we've got a couple of um, feedbacks. I've been kind of uh, uh, randomly uh, emailing people on Twitter, you know, like who had cool profiles that I thought they might be listeners. So a couple of people have um, actually listened uh, from our show and um, kind of sent me some feedback. There's one person... I was gonna mention she's she's got a really cool website. Um, she's on Twitter as bats don't kill, and her website it's all one word is like bats don't kill babbles dot and um, I'll put a link on that when when our podcast comes up with it. But she's got some really cool artwork and some really cool um, uh, uh, Batman. She's got a really cool statue collection of Batman on there. Um, and I invited her to be on the podcast, and I figured, you know, she'd either be like, okay, or no. But she gave, like, a whole list of reasons why she didn't want to be on the podcast. <laughs> so it was kind of funny. But they were kind of actually complimentary. She said that um, she she doesn't know as much as us. And I told her, well, we just kind of look all that stuff up on the Internet as we're going. And um, that she was afraid with her accent. She's got, like, a Birmingham accent that we wouldn't understand her and stuff. So, um, But maybe in the future she'll be on there. Um, and then I mentioned uh, my, my friend Dan, who um, listens regularly now at work. He says he's not a Batman fan, but he, he cracks up listening to us. And um, we keep him interested, even though he's not up on the whole Batman stuff. Um, and he reminded me, because I had mentioned on the last podcast that I would tell some stories about him going to Brazil. And uh, he reminded me that he knows a lot more embarrassing stories about me than I know of him, so I better watch out. So now um, I can hear these stories. <laughs> yeah, I, I could tell you the trip to Brazil story off the air one time. It's kind of <laughs> actually more sad and depressing than actually embarrassing. But um, sorry, Dan. <laughs> it's a story of a young man getting his heart broken. But um, uh, what you call it? Um, and then we had a uh, email from one of our fans, um, Alex, and I'm going to paraphrase this. This Alex kind of writes in after every show, and he he made sure that um, he put down that he's Alexander because I think I had joked about him maybe being you know Alexis or something, uh, the the French supermodel who listens to us regularly. Um, but Alex says, "Hey guys, thank you all for." And I'm just going to read like the compliment part and skip through the you know the other stuff. Uh, he says, "Hey guys, thank you all for making such an entertaining podcast. I really enjoy all your discussions, and I especially like it when you go off the rails." Your latest review system for the newest issue is my favorite. And then he talked a little bit about how he listened to the um, Michael Keaton um, interview that we talked about and how Michael Keaton had the idea for, or, or actually, basically, Michael Keaton had all of Nolan's ideas beforehand. <laughs> and I think Nolan just, you know, stole it out of Michael Keaton's head uh, and then used it for himself. Um, and then um, it says, being that you guys do go off the rails, I was curious what are all of your favorite heroes, whether they are fictional or non-fictional, and your favorite villains? I'm curious to see how Batman ranks among them. Surely a Star Wars character will be there somewhere. <laughs> so um, I don't know if you guys had jotted down your favorite heroes or villains, and I have mine. Here, I'll go mine real quick, and then if you haven't done yours, you can come up with them quick while um, 
um, babbling on here. But for my villains, I said uh, I had criteria. I'm only going to go with fictional. I'm not going to go with any reality and get into, like, politics yeah, and definitely. weird things like that. So I'm just going to stick to fictional. And I'm also going to go um, – the the what they were actually in because it's not fair because there's some Joker stuff that where he's awesome and then there's Joker stuff where he's kind of lame but that's the you know um but that's the artist and the writer's fault not the character's fault so for my top villains I said they have to look cool um, they have to have cool motivation um, they cannot wimp out at the end so Darth Vader doesn't make it because at the end there where he takes off his mask and let me look at you with his eyes that, that just ruins it there or Mr. Freeze at the end of Batman and Robin you know oh here's the cure for Alfred none of that um, they, the villain can't have any redemptions he can't break down and cry at the end or like have a mind meld like the Riddler and uh, with um, at the end of uh, Batman Forever so my top five villains i went with sauron from lord of the rings sorry dane uh but he's uh the thing i like about him is you never you don't really see him that much he's not really in there that much but he's just like this presence uh in the movie the entire time and he's like corrupting the heroes yeah. um you feel other, but you don't see him <laughs> exactly and you, you see you see what he's doing and you know that like there's nothing they can do about him they they can only try to destroy his ring um Number four, I put Deathstroke, uh, the Terminator from Identity Crisis. Uh, that is still my all-time favorite fight scene in any comic is when Deathstroke takes on the Justice League. Um, number three, I put the Terminator for Arnold Schwarzenegger just because he's just relentless. You can't, you can't argue with him. You can't outsmart him. You can't outthink. He's just one, just, you know, has that mission and is unstoppable, kind of like, like the, the shark in Jaws or, the HAL computer in 2001. Um, number two, despite his wardrobe, which is terrible, I put General Zod from Superman 2 because he's another one who's just cold and calculating, and he's kind of like, what if Superman was just selfish and just wanted to take over the planet? Uh, his outfit is terrible. He's got that 70s funky kind of disco thing going on. Uh, and then number one, I've got Heath Ledger's Joker performance. Um, which I think is the all-time greatest villain. For my heroes, I got number five. I've got Adam West's portrayal of Batman. Um, for number four, uh, yeah. For number four, I've got uh, Batman as he's portrayed in um, the Dark Knight Returns, both the comic and the movie. So Peter Weller. For number three, I've got Michael Keaton's uh, portrayal of Batman. For number two, I could put Christian Bale's portrayal of Batman. And my number one hero is Kevin Conroy's portrayal of Batman. So well, I think Batman's nope. the heroes. <laughs> yeah, Luke Skywalker almost almost cracked it, but I had to go with a Batman sweep there. So <laughs> yeah, first off, uh, great question, great topic to talk about. <laughs> Thanks for the email, Alex. But for me, I kind of have the same criteria as you do, Terrence, for uh, the villains, where when they kind of get redeemed at the end, where they actually turn good. It's not, they don't really rank too high for my list as far as villains. But still, I think Darth Vader will probably make my list <laughs> for the time he was a villain. But he won't be my top. My Probably my top favorite villain of all time is going to be the Joker. I mean, he's just, he, he is evil pretty much. And he has no other motivations for to do anything good or to help anyone. He's just pure evil. He's only out to cause chaos and destruction like he did in the Dark Knight. So I just think. He'll always be the ultimate villain in any type of fiction. I don't think he'll ever be surpassed. Probably number second for me would be uh, Emperor Palpatine from Star Wars, more so than Darth Vader because of, he was never 
he didn't get redeemed at the end. He just had he was this evil. Right when we became training us to be a Sith Lord, which has a long backstory. I could go on forever about how it became <laughs> a Sith Lord, but just the great scheme that he had to build the Empire and to cause the destruction of the Republic and the Jedi Order is just like genius. Great mastermind for his plan and it is executed brilliantly throughout the Clone Wars and everything. So he's probably my number two. And then number three, I'm also a big fan of Dragon Ball Z and, uh, the villain Cell in that series. He's a, he looks really cool. He's kind of the, I think the best interpretation of those type of villains who have like all the hero's powers that he uses that against them, which is what he is. He's an android who got, who was built to take the powers of all the heroes in that series, which I think he's probably done the best in that. And then number four, I'd probably have to go, I'd probably have to say Lex Luthor as a villain, just the fact that he thinks he's a good guy, but he just hates Superman so much, and he really is only out for himself, but he thinks he's doing it for the best for humanity, and he thinks he views himself as humanity's savior, but actually he's evil. I think that's a really cool uh, way a villain operates and his way of thinking. And then probably number five is probably the closest I'd get to someone who's not really a villain, but he has some redeeming qualities about him, would probably be Magneto from the X-Men. I mean, when you see the childhood that he had and the things he had to go through in the concentration camps for World War II, you can understand why he would do the things that he do against the X-Men and against uh, humans for mistreating mutants and all that. So even though he's, in my mind, he's not a full-fledged villain because he is friends with Charles Xavier and he does do some good things, he, that's why he probably ranks number five on my list, but he's still a really cool villain. I mean, his outfit's awesome, his powers are awesome, but <laughs> just seeing him use his powers is really cool. But that's probably my top five favorite villains. And I and let me just I just want to jump in and say Michael Fassbender's performance yeah. of him in First Class was if all the scenes with him as Magneto I are just you know are top that movie is has a lot of problems but that's not one of them I mean I could watch those scenes over and over again Ian McKellen's great as well but that Michael Fassbender stuff is just amazing yeah great choice yeah for heroes mine. As much as I love Star Wars, and if I had to choose which franchise I like better, Batman or Star Wars, Star Wars might just edge it out. Batman's always going to be my favorite fictional hero character. I mean, he's just the best. I would love to see him in a Star Wars universe. How awesome would that be? (laughs) (laughs) Then I'd probably go Obi-Wan Kenobi. He's my favorite Star Wars character. To me, he's like, he's a Jedi master, but when, like, in the story, he's not viewed as the ultimate Jedi, but yet he is, really, in my opinion. And then probably afterwards would be Luke, this, the classic hero's journey story. You start out as a farm boy, he goes on this great adventure, then he becomes like the savior of the galaxy pretty much, <laughs> redeems his father. It's just a, it's a great story, great hero story. And then I'm probably going to go back to the superhero front with Spider-Man. is probably my second favorite comic book superhero. I just love the story of Peter Parker. <laughs> I just thought was everything he has to deal with as far as being Spider-Man. Uh, the rotten luck that he has in life and just the whole reason behind him being Spider-Man, the whole great power, great responsibility, I just love that. And then probably I'd have to go with, I'd say Superman probably. I mean, he's the father of all superheroes. He wouldn't <laughs> probably be into comics if he wasn't created. And just yeah, I love the fact that he's the first comic created superhero and he's still kind of considered to be the most powerful of all beings who are created in comics. Like There's no one stronger than Superman. I just love that. And, of course, his story, his origin story is so classic. So 
That'd probably be my top five favorite heroes. Uh, all right, here's Alex's. So, Alex, uh, here, I came up with my list of top heroes and vil- villains. Heroes, number one is Batman. Number two, Goku from Dragon Ball. Did I say that right? Yeah. Uh, Good choice. And number three, Jack Bauer from 24. Favorite villains, number five, Bane. Number four, The Devil, especially in the Twilight Zone episodes like The Howling Man and A Nice Place to Visit. He's one of my favorite and least favorite villains for the same reason of never failing to get under my skin and scare the heck out of me. Number three, Tyler Durden from Fight Club. Now, Fight Club is my all-time favorite movie, and I love the book as well. But I, I don't think Tyler Durden, Tyler Durden, really is a villain. But um, that can be a debate for another time. Uh, number two, Walter White from Breaking Bad, and number one, Lex Luthor, Smallville's depiction, which was pretty good. But I, I think the be- best depiction of Lex Luthor is in um, uh, All Star Superman. But um, I can't believe if you're going to put the devil on the list that he would come in fourth. That's pretty. That's pretty bad if you you beat Satan in a list of villains. That's pretty pretty wicked. I mean, well, Lex Luthor can be pretty evil. God. Yeah. But I agree with the. I, I really do like the Smallville portrayal of Lex Luthor too. Even though he wasn't evil throughout the whole series, I mean, it would have been cool if we fully got to see him become Lex Luthor that we all know from the comics. But I think it's a better portrayal than how he has been in the movies with Gene Hackman and. Uh, Kevin Spacey. Yeah. Well, those aren't the ideal life flute doors for me. No. I'll say this about the devil. I have been very disappointed in DC Comics whenever they've kind of like done issues where they've gone to hell or tried to portray the devil or those things. Those, it always kind of falls short for me somehow. I don't. DC Comics has never done the devil that good. <laughs> I forgot Michael Sheen was in the uh, Spawn movie. He was? Yeah. Wow. I don't think I've ever seen it. I just can't believe he was in that. Yeah. Why would you, I mean, Michael Sheen's a pretty good actor. Why would you sign up to do that? Yeah. <laughs> well, look how awesome it turned out to be. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I've actually seen that. I've never seen it either, but <laughs> I just remember the trailers. I haven't, you know, this will make you cringe, but I've only seen episode two and episode three one time each, and that was when they came out in the theaters. Yeah. <laughs> you, have, you have to change that right now. <laughs> yeah. Go no further until... Yeah. We watch episodes two and three more than once. All right. So, was there any other what are we calling feedback section stuff? Only that my wife says I need to get to know you guys personally better, uh, and um, I, I disagree. I've, I know enough about you, and um, that she is it. She wants me to. Well, she was lit, well, over here in the podcast, like I said, and she kept saying like. Because I'd say, my wife, my wife. She's like, you know, I have a name, you know. And I was like, oh. <laughs> so my wife, Natalie, wants me to say her name more, I guess. But then I was listening to another podcast, and the, the co-host, it was a female. And she was she mentioned, she's like, well, I was talking to my boyfriend, Brad, the other day. And I was like, so I guess that's a thing with women to, like, uh, mention the names of people. But, um, uh, you know, and just in case... She's actually imaginary. I don't want to, like, say one name one day and then the other day the next. Or if she divorces me and I get remarried, I, you know, they, then I can just play the podcast as is. But um, until we get some more fans, that's a it. So I'll keep randomly bugging people on Twitter and MySpace and all kinds of um, social networking to listen to our podcast. MySpace. <laughs> yeah, is that a, it's still around anymore? Yeah, I don't even know. <laughs> I guess Facebook. I don't know. I'm kind of out of it. <laughs> All right. So before we get into our comic book reviews, 
as always, there's going to be a ton of spoilers, so if you haven't read the comics, you might want to come back here later and listen to this. But for the week of January 16th, we got Batman number 16, Batgirl number 16, Batman and Robin, and Batman and Robin number 16. For January 23rd, we have Nightwing number 16, Batwoman number 16, Catwoman number 16, Red Hood number 16, and Justice League number 16. And for this episode, we are going to use the rating scale of things that Dan likes that Dane doesn't like. <laughs> so for January number 16, or <laughs> January C, Terrence, you got it in my head. <laughs> <laughs> For January 16th, we have Batman number 16, Batgirl number 16, and Batman and Robin number 16. Where do you guys want to start? Let's go with Terrence. Well, uh, let's start at the top at Batman number 16. This um, was the main arc of, or the main um, storyline for the death of the family. And starting right at the cover, the cover is amazing with the Joker standing knee-high in water. I, I think we talked about this with the solicitations, but he's got a little bit of all the different costumes on. Um, and for me, this didn't disappoint. You know, it starts out with, like, Batman and Joker, like, ballroom dancing, and you're only seeing, like, little clips of, like, the hands together, and um, you see a tear in Batman's eye, and you're kind of like, what is this? And then they pull out, and you see that it's, uh, the Joker has dressed up the Arkham guards as Batman's and, uh, and um, Joker's. So there's a, um, about six or seven of them in the cells, and they're in water. And if they don't stop dancing, their feet will be electrocuted. Um, and so right there, I was just kind of hooked and just into this world. And it's just Batman going deeper and deeper into Arkham. Um, and you can see through the dialogue kind of the Joker's not – quite ready for Batman, but you don't know what to expect, and um, I think the first thing that the Joker throws at him is a horse on fire, which is flaming, which has sparked a lot of um, Twitter de- debate with Scott Snyder, people have been saying, what did you ever do, to, what did horses ever do to you for you to hate horses so much, and he responded back to one of them of, um, you know, they killed my family in an alley when I was a boy, or something like that, um, and then another horse bites it, which I did, I sent a, a tweet to uh, Greg Capullo this week, and said, I ne- who knew you could draw such a killer horse, and he wrote back to me and said, oh, they're animatronics, so I thought that was pretty cool, um, but overall, his art it just keeps getting better and better, I feel like, on these books. I mean, the knock on his art um, when he first started was that it was a little too cartoony, which some people actually like that. It kind of reminded them of the, the animated series. But this yeah. I, was definitely not cartoony at all. It was gritty and dirty and could have been year one um, or uh, Dark Knight Returns level. And then um, it it kind of... One of the things that I liked was that it had the interaction with the Joker, the Riddler, Two-Face, and the Penguin, which I had mentioned earlier on the, talking about Nightfall, um, liking the, the villains in Gotham to interact and, and more of a, a series kind of feel to it as opposed to Batman fights a different one each week. Um, and I'll let you guys talk a little more of the, the story, so to speak. The one thing I, I didn't like is that Batman sees on the screen and he sees that Nightfall's, uh, no, I'm sorry, Nightfall. Nightwing has been taking, um, uh, prisoner and the Red Hood and, um, Red Robin are prisoner. You've got, uh, Damon, Robin all beat up prisoner and, and uh, Batgirl, and I had not read Nightwing and 
um, Batman and Robin yet. So it kind of ruined the ending for those books uh, a, just a little bit, not too much, but you kind of knew how those books were going to end. Um, yeah, I thing I, the same thing. <laughs> yeah, and... Um, the thing I do like is Capullo is drawing the Joker's face just more and more grotesque. The mask is starting to fall off. It's starting to rot. There's all flies all around it now, um, which is pretty cool. I'm I'm curious to see how they'll have his face reattached, what they'll actually do for that, because I can't imagine this is how the Joker will be for now on. But um, it is pretty popular, so you never know. Um, and then there's the whole mystery of what's under his dinner plate. Um, and what, what I thought was amazing about this book was that the art styles between the, the main story and the backup are extreme. Uh, Greg Capullo's art is just, um, extremely different than Jock's. And usually when I'm reading a book and they have like a different artist in mid story and it, it that kind of like throws me and, and jars me. But um, here it just seemed to go smoothly, even though the artwork was so different. It was like I was just right into it just because both artists are so amazingly good. Um, and um, I am extremely curious as to what's on that plate. So um, I felt this moved the story along just enough and has really got me curious now for issue seven and what will be there. And um, knowing Scott Snyder, I hope. You know, it will not be a disappointing thing. Like, oh, that was it. I, I really feel like there's going to be something really cool there. Um, now, um, for the rating system, I would give this uh, four and a half things that Dan likes, uh, but Dane doesn't. And um, I know, Dane, do you like the, the band Uriah Heap? I've never even heard of them. All right, so we'll go with that because that's Dan's favorite <laughs> band, Uriah Heap. So this is four and a half CDs of Uriah Heap that. Uh, <laughs> Dan loves, but Dane is so hates them so much that he has blocked all memory of it from his mind, and he thinks he's never even heard of them. So, yeah. So for me, I thought this was a another great issue to the death of the family storyline. But I just after I first read it, I couldn't help but feel like this felt a little familiar to me. I think it was just because it was the whole Arkham setting and that. We've seen Batman go through this before, where he's going through Arkham. It's kind of like Arkham Asylum, the video game, where he goes through some villains to get to the Joker. And I don't know, just for some reason, I guess, since Death of the Family, from the first few issues, it's it's been awesome and great. I just was expecting, like, something really different to be done with the Joker instead of just having him in Arkham. But um, with saying that, I think what was what happened inside Harkham in this issue was really cool. Like you said, Terrence, the introduction with seeing those guards uh, dancing. At, at first, when I first saw it, I was like, man, what's Joker and Batman doing? Why is he crying, and why are they dancing together? It was just a great introduction that kind of fooled me anyway, thinking that it was actually Joker and Batman. And this Batman has a lot of great moments in this. I just love the fight sequence he had with the inmates of Arkham. They're all dressed up in, those, in the guards' armor. And how Batman just takes him out, and then he's the way he gets that horse is really cool. He's that guard charging on him. He just punches that horse right in the head, and it's like the third one of the, one of three things that show horse brutality in this issue. <laughs> and there's a lot of disturbing things that Joker's doing. I mean, he has all those bodies hanging on. It's supposed to be like the tapestry that kind of shows all their past encounters. You see the laughing fish. You see Batman holding Jason Todd as he was dead. I mean, there's a lot of twisted things that Joker's doing that this. It's really, really cool. This makes the Joker seem more twisted and vile than we've seen him in a long time. And even though seeing Batman go against some of the other supervillains like Clayface, 
Mr. Freeze and Scarecrow in here. How I was saying before, it felt a little similar to like something you would do in the Arkham Asylum video game. I did like how Batman took them all out, though. It was just really quick and easy. I mean, Mr. Freeze, after he freezes that horse and smashes it, Batman just quickly just puts that uh, device on him that says if you'll move, um, this will burn through your chest. So <laughs> that was, he took him out quickly. Clayface, who was disguised as Commissioner Gordon, Batman just twists his arm and puts that electric shock in his mouth to stop him. And the scarecrow tries to spray him with his fear toxin. He just puts his hand in his mouth and just slams him against the wall. I just love how he took out all three of these main villains so easily just because he's so determined to get the Joker. And then when he finally does reach the Joker's uh, room, which is, I believe, in uh, Jeremiah Arkham's office in Arkham, um, he sees that Riddler, Penguin, and Two-Face are all there. And then again, I just like the theme Joker's going on here with being the royal. This is the kingdom of Batman. He's the royal jester. He says Penguin is uh, the priest. Or the bishop, Riddler is his uh, strategist, and Two Face is the judge. Which um, I don't know if it's to tie in with that animated series episode Judgment Day, where Two Face created that third persona called the Judge, and he was a vigilante. Vigilante, and he had that same like judge wig that he had on this issue. I like to think that was a throwback to that, but I don't know if it actually was, but it makes sense. I just love how also too Joker was driving the point home to Batman that this is why I'm doing all this when he shows him the screen of. Nightwing, Batgirl, Robin, and Red Hood, and Red Robin, that this is why I'm doing this. See, you could have had me here, but because you have all these members of the Bat family, this makes you weak. Now, I have you right where I want you, because you won't do anything to me as long as they are in peril. And then, also like the point two Joker made, where out of all the superheroes, there's a reason why he singles out Batman. He's like, I could have gone and served uh, Superman and Metropolis, uh, or the, and the Queen of the Amazon, but I chose you. I just like that, that he thinks... Batman is just the one that really is his greatest arch enemy, and that he's the one that he chooses to go against. And he even makes fun of that by having all these different people dressed up as Superman, Green Lantern, and Wonder Woman. And Batman's able, he's able, just like he was doing the Sword in the Stone type of thing, where he's going to have these different superheroes try to show their worthiness, so that they are the ones that Joker should be after by lifting this, like, um, I believe it was a, the chainsaw stuck in there that was electrified. Like, he had Superman, the guy dressed up as Superman, go to it, and he failed. He got electrocuted. And then he's going to have Wonder Woman go lift it up, but Batman's able to break through and uh, stop him, stop her from pulling that. But then that's when Joker reveals he has Nightwing, Batgirl, and everyone else captured. Like you, Terrence, I kind of wish we didn't get to see that right away because it kind of took away a little bit from the endings of all the other tie-in issues of Death of the Family. But, um, again, the big thing was that discussing what is in that platter. <laughs> what is Joker planning here? I mean, the obvious thing is it has something to do with Alfred. I mean, just looking at the reactions that Penguin and Two-Face had at, in the back of it, it's like, man, this is something really disturbing, which I do think it is Alfred, something to do with him, but at the same time, it's like, that's too obvious, and I, I have a feeling Snyder might do something different, so I just keep going back and forth. What is that? I'm just really curious to see to find out what exactly is in that platter. So, yeah, another good issue. Even though certain things felt a little familiar to me, just like the setting in Arkham Asylum, I still thought it was everything that it played out in it was really great. So I'm going to go ahead and give it four out of five things that Dan likes but Dane hates. Yeah, and before Dane jumps in, I just want to say, I, I like you, Tim, I thought maybe it was something to do with Alfred, but then I wondered, um, would Penguin and, and Two-Face be that upset at something with Alfred as as they were in the the story? So I've got that 
wondering whether 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 is something with Alfred because that would be the most twisted thing to do to to Bruce. Yeah. But yet I wonder would they have that reaction if you know over Alfred? Do they, do they even know who Alfred is? Because um, they acted more than it was just like oh yeah that's some guy's you know body part there or something. But uh, you never know what Snyder's got planned. Yeah, because you think if like let's say if it's like the head of someone or or Alfred or something like that, you think Two Face and Penguin probably seen something like that before. Yeah. S- seeing how they're big super villains though. I mean, like, who's that wondering. guy? Who who is that? You yeah. know, like they'd even ask. Like if somebody you know, show me a platter with someone's head, I'd be like, Well, who is that guy? You know, maybe maybe I just throw up. I don't know. Alright, so for me I mean it sounds weird saying it, but I didn't like this issue. Uh it it had its strong points, but I felt it was it was more of the same thing. You know, Batman shows up looks for the Joker, fights some guys, finds Joker, and the and it ends in, like, a cliffhanger type of situation. But, I mean, I, I guess that's what every Batman Joker story is supposed to be. I mean, I, I, I just thought that this one was supposed to be different. And, you know, it is. It is. But I, I just felt let, let down with this, with this issue. I, I do um, understand what you're saying about that, Dave. Like I said, it had that familiar feel to it where it kind of right. like some different from Snyder, that, like a new Joker scenario that we haven't seen before. I do agree yeah. with you in that, but at the same time, I just, what happened in there was pretty cool yeah. to me anyway, but I get you. Uh, I mean, it, it started off really creepy, you know, with all of the guards dressed up as Batman and Joker dancing, and I, I like how that scene transitioned into the scene with Batman and Culture Clayface and Scarecrow, but I didn't like the scene itself. It, it felt like it went too fast to the point where I was wondering why Snyder even put that scene in this issue. I mean, I guess it was just because he was in Arkham Asylum, but um, but then we go into that scene where Batman is attacked by all of the, the inmates in the riot gear. And again, this was another scene where I was wondering why Snyder decided to put this scene in this issue, because it felt... It felt out of place with the inmates and Batman getting on the horse for some reason because I, just, I think it's I mean, because I was, he's trying to drive home the point of what Joker's whole thing that this is his kingdom and he's trying to show like the different members of his kingdom like this is your royal guard of all the inmates and how he says like Mister Freeze is like I think he says like he's the groundskeeper or something like that and Scarecrow is the physician. And Clayface is your like your royal theatrical player. Like I think he's just trying to show Batman all the different roles that his kingdom has that he's created. Okay, so I understand that, but like, why show that? But then go forward on it, and then you know j- just have it end so quickly. That's that's what I don't get. But yeah, like I was wondering why Snyder put that scene in this issue, um, mainly because I was thinking about like all of the other reason, all of the other things Snyder could have done with the with Batman and Joker in Arkham. I mean, I get that it plays to Joker's random unpredictability, but it felt just too random and just too cliched. And it it, it felt like Snyder overplayed that aspect. But, you know, I mean, th- there was some good in this issue. I really like Joker's dialogue through, throughout the entire issue, and it's it's probably what made the beginning part a little more bearable. And I really like the ending where Batman is trying to get into the room and how Joker's killing his hostages with the chainsaw. That part that part worked really well. And I thought that 
that whole scenario felt like a thriller movie, especially after Joker shows Batman pictures of Batman, you know, or he shows pictures to Batman of the Bat family in trouble. And, you know, that's another part that I like, the part where Joker, you know, is, is taunting Batman, saying that if Bruce doesn't sit on the throne, he, he will never know what happened to the Bat family. That part felt like Bruce, you know, has finally lost that last bit of control over the situation, if he had any to begin with. Um, but besides that, I it sounds really weird saying it, but I didn't like this <laughs> issue. Um, um, but, uh, you know, I, I, I liked Coppola's art, like um, Terrence did. You know, especially that flaming horse. And, you know, of course, his Joker. And, I can't believe you guys forgot it, the fat Wonder Woman. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so I would probably give this, you know, I'm I'm torn between a two and a half and a three <laughs> out of five um, things that Dane, uh, Dan likes that Dane doesn't. I'm just I I just didn't like this issue. Well, I thought you heard that maybe Dan liked it, so that's why you had to oh, not like it. Right, so, yeah, right. even though he doesn't read comics, somehow he secretly liked it. Yeah. Yeah, so that's why I hated it. Not the reason so. I pointed out. <laughs> um, okay, Dan, so I guess... No, I was gonna say Dan, Dan hates horses, so any kind of horse brutality he just loves. So, you know, <laughs> I'm just kidding. So, I guess we can move on to Batgirl number 16. Do you guys want to do that? Sounds yeah. good. Okay. Uh, Tim, what did you think, of, think about it? Now, this one, since it was the last tie-in issue of Death's Family for Batgirl, and I have to say the ending felt a little anticlimactic, because I enjoyed the first two issues of this tie-in a lot with Batgirl and the Joker. And I also like how some of the things that they were doing with the characterization of Barbara in this issue. I mean, we got the beginning of her with the psychiatrist. And I like how she had mentioned that dream she kept having, where it's both a dream and a nightmare. But it's the same thing where she's killing the Joker. And how sometimes she's sad that it was only a dream when she wakes up and finds out that he's not dead. So I liked all that stuff and kind of the things that was going on in her head as she was confronting the Joker and the fight that they had and all this, but at the same time, I felt that what was really the whole point of Joker doing this whole wedding scheme thing, when at the end he just really wanted to kidnap Barbara and get all the Bat family members together, it looks like the show Batman, which we saw in Batman 16. And I know you can say that the Joker likes to do things theatrical, and a lot of the things don't make sense that he does. But I really thought there was going to be some point to the whole thing with asking Barbara to marry him. But it just, I mean, when we kind of get the reveal, he just says that I decided to, like, take your arms and legs. And, like, this is going to be the best prenup ever. <laughs> but it really was all, so, like, it's all going to end up just her being kidnapped by the Joker, which she already accomplished, it seemed like. When he had this whole extravagant wedding just for the sake of having one for no reason, it's not like. So I thought that was a little disappointing. I thought the whole thing with James Jr. coming in, acting like he's saving her, but then he ends up not saving her. He ends up knocking her out. I just felt his whole presence here was unnecessary. I kind of missed the old creepy James Jr. where he's acting like a, a good guy, who like there's someone that is misunderstood by society, but he's really evil. And this one just comes off as an arrogant jerk. It's like someone who's full, like is full of himself, and he's like he knows what he's doing. Nothing can stop me. I just don't like that version of. James Jr., I mean, the one Scott Snyder did, which is so good, I just wish we'd get more of that, but it doesn't seem like we are in this story anyway. I mean, because he ends up using his grenades as a distraction after he knocks, our bar knocks out Barbara. He blows up the church that they were in. 
We don't see what happens to him, but obviously it didn't have that big of an effect because the issue ends with Joker waking up Barbara, and he's about to show her the same platter that he showed Two-Face and Penguin from Batman. So there was something that, like, mainly just the motivations behind Barbara and what's going on in her head during this issue that I really liked about it. I just thought the whole outcome of this story was a little anticlimactic with the whole thing with the wedding. So I'd probably just give it two and a half things that Dan likes but Dane hates out of five. Terrence, what did you think about it? Yeah, I like this issue a lot. Um, Ed Benz, his art is fantastic. Um, I probably liked it a lot more than Tim. Right away on the um, first page, there's a Dr. Andrea, who uh, is actually one of our listeners, who's even um, tweeted a couple times that she was listening to the podcast. Um, but Ed Benz is known for drawing some like really phenomenally beautiful women and some pretty amazing female figures. So I don't know. Um, we'll have to find out if she's disappointed that he drew her, but only sitting down at a desk, and you can only see like <laughs> the upper portion of her shoulder. Um, but uh, still, that's pretty cool um, that Gail Simone put her in there. Um, you know, the whole wedding farce thing didn't really bother me as much as it bothered uh, Tim because I just kind of thought it was just kind of like a gimmicky, goofy joker just messing with everybody um, from the beginning. Um, I did really like Joker's dialogue. I thought Joker's dialogue was really fantastic in this. Just his one-liners were pretty funny and pretty sinister. And um, I even sent a tweet to uh, Gail Simone and... Um, said that I, I enjoyed the uh, Joker dialogue, and she tweeted back, thanks um, for it. Uh, and then the James Jr. coming in, like um, Tim, when you were t- describing how he used to be, it kind of reminded me how they used to do Jason Todd as well, just kind of like a, just an arrogant jerk who thinks he knows better than everybody. And um, here he's he's a lot different. But I did like the fact that they reestablished him as a villain. I was a little afraid that Gail Simone was trying to – almost make him kind of a nice guy and, and save his sister and all this stuff. So when he betrays uh-huh. her and sells her out, I was kind of like, okay. And I, I kind of liked that twist. It was like, aha, you got me. I Here I am thinking he's reformed and a nice guy and, you know, he's just a creep at heart and w- what's going on here. And the thing I really like is Barbara wants to kill the Joker. She just out and out wants to kill him. Yeah. But she can't because he's got his mother hostage. He's got these hostages here, you know, so she's she's – She's, like, controlling her rage because she wants to save her mother, but really she wants to kill him. And I I was, like, dreading. I'm like, oh, please don't do the, you know, Robin ending where, you know, I'm going to kill you, but the whole movie. And then, um, like they did in Batman Forever. And then at the end, like, you know what? I'd rather see you in a prison. Or, you know, like, I just didn't. Please don't do that. You know, as much as, you know... um, one of my favorite episodes of Star Trek The Next Generation was when the one where they had Worf and he, he had that and then right at the end he like uses his bat lift to kill the guy. He just like kills him right there where it's such the classic like, no, I won't do it. Um, so here she, she never gave up on that. That never happened. Um, she was going to kill the Joker right from the start to the end and James, uh, you know, Jr. knocks her out and she kind of ends with like, I'm sorry, I failed kind of thing. But they never had that cop out of um, the, you know, no, I, I really won't kill you. And then at the end, Joker's in like a purple and green suit, which I thought looked pretty cool. It was kind of a cool update of his outfit with the, with the uh, dinner platter again. Um, so overall, as much as I kind of didn't like Batgirl for a while, it's it's getting better and better, and I'm I'm like I probably like this issue the most. Um, so I would give this four 
things that Dan likes, but Dane doesn't. And um, I guess I can't include the New York Mets in that because Dan is a huge <laughs> Mets fan, and Dane is a huge Mets fan. So I'm sure there's four players on the Mets that <laughs> Dan likes at some point. So like, um, I, Dan's, I think Dan's favorite player was Gary Carter. So um, Dane hates Gary Carter, so that's good. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> All right, so before we move on to Batman and Robin number 16, Dane had to step out for the remainder of the podcast. So this is going to be me and Terrence doing the rest of the comic reviews. So I guess we'll go into Batman and Robin number 16. And for this one, I mean, I really love the first part of this Death of the Family tie-in with Batman and Robin at number 15. I mean, it's great dialogue between the Joker and Damien. And that one ended with him showing that he has to fight Batman in order to survive. And right away I knew that wasn't Bruce. So while this one was kind of setting up that tension of, oh, Damien has to fight his father. What's he going to do? Is he going to kill him or is he going to let his father win? But the whole time I knew that wasn't Bruce. So I really didn't have that like dramatic feeling of what's going to happen or is he going to kill his own father. But what I did like was just the dialogue Damien had because he really thought it was Bruce. And it was all the things he was saying, like, I'm not going to fight you, father. I'm, I'm not going to give up on you. He's really showing how much he cares and respects Bruce as a father. And it's just good to see that after all bunch of other issues early on when Damien was first introduced and he was working with Bruce as Batman where they didn't get along. He really didn't have respect for him at first. But it kind of really brought out, this brought out the, I guess, the love Damien has for his father finally and the respect that he has for him. And it was a cool fight sequence though too. I mean, Damien was <laughs> letting loose against this uh, imposter Batman. There was some cool moves and great artwork I thought by Patrick Gleason in this one that just shows the moves that Damien and Batman were doing. There was some brutal stuff that was going on. I really like that scene or those panels where Damien just has those barrages of punch and punches going against them. You just see all his fists going really fast. I just thought it was a really cool effect. And, of course, we get the reveal at the end where Damien does. It looks like he's going to kill him, and he, even though he doesn't want to, but it's something that he's going to have to do. But we get the reveal that it's not him. This is some, I think, some martial arts master that uh, Joker got. And even though Damien decides that he's not going to do it, he, but instead he offers himself to, like, go ahead and kill me instead. I won't kill you. Joker goes ahead and kills the, that fake Batman. I just love the reaction that Damien has on his face. Like, he was just really sad and depressed. He even goes on his knees and just starts, looks like he's crying. He's, like, hanging on to the Joker's legs. And he just says that he's going to kill him. He even grabs a screwdriver, not that's in Joker's work uh, belt. He just stabs it right in his foot, and the Joker just stops laughing. <laughs> that's some, some great moments that you would expect for Damien and the Joker to do. I mean, you expect Damien to show his rage and hurt Joker, but at the same time, you expect Joker to like that and start laughing. Yeah, when he, when he does that and he stabs him, his, he laughs and says, is that the best you can do? Guess I can skip my pedicure this week. Yeah. I thought that was a great reaction, yeah. Yeah, and then we kind of knew that Damien would be taking capture <laughs> because of what we saw in Batman 16. But he looks like he wasn't beaten down and, like, dragged there. You see Joker kind of having his arm around his back and, like, just leading him there. And Damien just questioning, why are you doing this? Like, why are you taking me here? And then we get the last page showing Joker and the platter, again, causing that mystery. So every time when I read all these comics, like, this gets me thinking around the last page. What is in that platter? <laughs> has to be yeah. something big if it's the ending of all the Death in the Family tie-in issues. So, yeah, I thought this was a good issue. It wasn't as good as the previous one. So I'll probably go ahead and give it uh, three 
out of five things that Dan likes, but Dane hates. Yeah, I'm kind of in, agree- in agreement. Um, I'll probably be quick on this one. I was kind of a little more annoyed by this issue just because it was, it just seemed so obvious that that wasn't Bruce dressed as Batman. Yeah. And it, it never once occurs to Damien to even like check or try or that it might not be him or, and you would think he would know, you know, fighting styles and body types and all this kinds of stuff. But, um, you know, um, so it was kind of more annoying of like, you know, he's not your dad, you know, instead of this big dramatic thing of him fighting him. Um, and then I felt, you know, that it kind of, it was just kind of a weird ending where he's like, no, I'm not going to fight you. And then the Joker kind of saves him. And then he's like, no, you're not going to die. So it was kind of a, it was just kind of a weird, like um emotional um i guess journey i don't even know what the words to say for it was but the the emotional arc of the story i guess was kind of just weird more than actually making you feel these emotions um and so um yeah i'm in agreement although the art was you know high quality it's not my favorite kind of style so it's very dark and um just not not what i prefer but it wasn't bad it was just not my my favorite so i would also give this three things that dan likes but dane doesn't and dan is a he's actually an archaeologist he studies mesoamerican cultures and goes on digs all the time to uh like belize and and mexico so this will be three mesoamerican cultures that dan likes but dane (laughs) hates probably because their predictions for the end of the world did not come true or completely misinterpreted by (laughs) modern day people um (laughs) And so did you, did um uh the next is January 23rd uh where we have Nightwing number 16. I don't know, did you have the show notes or did you want me to just No, yeah, I got them. Yeah. Oh, okay. I didn't know either. so if you want to say it again or not, that's right. up to you. But... Yeah. We'll like, we'll give Dane some more editing to do. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Let's just keep messing up yeah. and edit. Let's go on like a 20 minute, you know, Star Wars rant and yeah. then just keep yeah. messing up. Oh wait, this wasn't that issue. Oh, we lost connection though. <laughs> yeah. So do you remember in Lord of the Rings? Yeah. It's <laughs> yeah. like an hour about Lord of the Rings. <laughs> yeah. Because they'd probably leave in the Star Wars stuff that yeah. the Lord of the Rings can get rid of. <laughs> All right. So, yeah, that's it for the week of January 16th. So we'll go ahead and move on to January 23rd. So next would be Nightwing number 16. What do you think of that one, Terrence? This one, I, well, it was a good issue, but I was upset by it because, um, you know, the artwork was great. We're back to the regular writer. uh um, Kyle Higgins and the regular um, penciler Eddie Barrows. After uh, they did the last issue 15 as well, but before that we've had some some guest artists and um, writers, and they um, they do right away the the one thing where I actually love it when they do it, where they show like Nightwing jumping across the city, and they show like a little sort of like a faded copy of Nightwing and all the different poses and yeah. like jumps and flips all. So it gives it some action. I love when they do that. They do that a lot sometimes in Spider-Man, which yep. I really like. Um, I just think that it's really cool. It adds, it adds movement to a static image. Um, and so this, they go to the amusement mile and I, I was been really looking forward to Dick Grayson getting this um, up and running and being a part of Gotham, and I think it'd be a, a fantastic backdrop for lots of great stories. Um, and right away, the Joker's just graffitied it, and then it's just like everyone involved in it, you know, who are either alive or dead or have been taken in it. You've got um, every dead member of the circus propped up in there, and then you've got every live member with Joker toxin. Um, and then it looks like the Joker blows up the entire thing. 
So it's kind of like, well, and, and I mean, they, they have it in about three panels of it blown up. Um, and so that was kind of disappointing to think like, all right, well, that's just never going to happen now. That's not, you know, they, what are they going to do with that? And I guess, you know, it is fiction, so they could do whatever they want. They could rebuild it or it could come back. But, you know, it just kind of seems odd that they blow it up. And then um, uh, it kind of, once again, Nightwing is kind of feeling like I'm going to kill the Joker. Um, and he is just sort of unable to do it and gets beaten down. And it ends very similar to the other ones with the, the Joker in that suit with the platter. Um, and so this was kind of a, kind of a quick read and kind of, I kind of didn't get over the part when they blew up the, the, the amusement mile. I was just kind of like, it just kind of bummed me out for the rest of the issue. So, um, but I would give this three things that Dan likes, but Dane doesn't. And Dan plays the bass guitar, so I've now discovered Dane hates the bass guitar. So <laughs> there's three of them out there that Dane hates. So bass players what, get no respect. Exactly. I don't have an experience. <laughs> oh, did you play bass? Yeah. Uh-huh. Did you ever see? I think it was. How was it? Kids in the Hall. They did that like skit. The bass player is the loser of the band. I've heard that a lot. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> But most players know how to play the guitar, too, so they should get respect for that, yeah. <laughs> even though maybe not in the band. My friend Dan, he he's a really good bass player. He's been playing for, like, 20 years, and he's he's had, like, a five-string bass and um, been in different bands and stuff. He's he's really talented with it, so. Oh, nice. But for me in Nightwing, I thought this was a great issue. I really liked it. I mean, Joker even says that because Dick Grayson calls him, you're the worst of the bad fakes. I have something extra special for you. I think out of all the things he's done to the different Bat family members, at first I thought what he did to Barbara was probably the most extreme and the worst, but now I think what he's doing to Dick here is just the worst out of all of them. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, because Dick has really been working hard to get this amusement mile set up, and that was kind of his main focus. And the fact that he that a lot of the performers in there were kind of getting worried about being in Gotham, and now Dick promises them, though, you'll be safe. I'll like, I'll, I won't let anything happen to anyone. And then Joker gets involved and he just tears it all up. I mean, even that little girl he promised who was worried about being a trapeze artist, he, he, Joker got a hold in her and he was she was the one that Joker made uh, knock out Dick with the final punch with that big hammer. So it was just like the things that Joker is doing to Dick is just messed up. I mean, when he yeah. goes into the big top and he sees uh, that that all those dead bodies from past performers are just really twisted at what Joker's doing. Not to mention uh, using Raya again <laughs> to fight Dick, even when he thought she was dead before, but now he has to fight her again. I mean, just like I said, another good thing, I don't know if we mentioned this before, but uh, I think it just slipped past me in the other issues that this is the same amusement park that uh, the Killing Joke took place in. And I just thought that was a really cool like, backdrop to have it in. I guess it just slipped my mind when I read it before in the previous Nightwing issues, but I think it's really cool that this is where uh, Batman and Joker had that encounter and killing Joke. I thought this had a great uh, just more effect to the scenario that Joker's playing out towards Nightwing. Really cool. I hadn't even thought of that until you just said that, but that is cool. Yeah, Yeah. so like you mentioned, it ends the same way as all the other tie-ins with uh, Nightwing being captured and then being shown the platter, but just the fact that what Joker's doing to Dick and how He's pretty much not going to be the same after this because this was pretty much his main goal in being in Gotham. I like how Joker even said, too, like, you're kind of contradicting yourself. You say you want to be on your own 
uh, be your own hero, move on from Batman, but yet you're staying in Gotham and you're trying to make a difference here. So, like, you're kind of a hypocrite to what you're trying to be. So just everything Joker's doing to Dick is just awesome. And I, I am glad that he is singling out Dick as the worst of the pad fakes, as we call him. Since Dick is probably the one that, <laughs> I don't want to say bad fake, but the one who is the the most important bad family member, I would say, it is Dick. So it makes sense that Joker would be doing this to him. So I'm going to go ahead and give it four out of five things that Dan likes, but Dane hates. I really like this sign issue. Yeah, and I'd even say just on that there, like Dick is the one who started the whole family. Yeah, he was the first. He was the one that got Batman to change, to adopt a kid. So it makes sense that Joker would be, you know, the most angry at him. So that's a good point. Yeah, awesome stuff. I'm just curious to see how everyone's going to react on the final issue of Death of the Family or Batman number 17. I mean, like you said before, I just hope it's not some cop-out ending or (laughs) some stuff is left vague where we don't know what's really happened. I just hope it's a nice conclusion. Yeah, I'm a little worried because the biggest knock on Scott Snyder with the Court of Owls was the ending. Yeah. A lot of people were disappointed in that ending. So he, he's proven he can write a great 90% of a story, but he hasn't proven that he can bring it home with that last 10%. Although I do think that the Dark Mirror stuff with James Jr. had a great ending. Yeah, that's so, right. yeah. So just Court of Owls, really. I mean, all he had to do with Court of Owls is just give, for me anyway, just give a definitive answer if that's Bruce's brother or not. Then it would have been fine with me. Yeah, my problem with the Court of Owls ending is that he, it was almost like he had two stories at at one time. Like, he should have told that story with Bruce's brother or maybe brother as one story and the Court of Owls as a story. But I think he just was trying to cram the two together, and it kind of didn't work, but... Yeah, because the whole Court of Owls threat kind of got taken care of pretty quickly because uh, Bruce's brother, if it's true, Thomas Wayne killed them all before Bruce got to him. Yeah. So, yeah, I see what you mean there. But uh, next on the list is Batwoman number 16, and since Dane's not here, I would give it to you, Terrence. <laughs> okay, did you read this one? or? Uh, yeah, I have, like I said, I got when the first 52 started, got a few of the Batwoman issue. Just couldn't get into the whole story. I'm not really into all the supernatural stuff that's going on with her, so I haven't really kept up with it. <laughs> Okay, yeah, I, I didn't think you read this one regularly. Um, and I'll, I'll go on this one really quick here. Since Dane's on here, I'm going to just bash this book. I, I, the truth is I hate this book. I've just been saying I like it, so Dane would let me on the podcast. But now that he's not here, I can tell the truth. Truth, no, comes, out. <laughs> truth comes out, right? I also hate Star Wars. Sorry. No, I'm just, right, just kidding. Over. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, actually, I've enjoyed this book. Um, the artwork itself is top-notch, as always. They... Uh, um, are expanding what a comic book looks like. It's it's not your traditional panels. It's uh, you know full page spreads. It's a lot of um, you know paragraphs of writing with you know this amazing backdrop. As far as story wise goes, the story didn't move along that that much. Um, Batwoman and Wonder Woman um, appear in Gotham, and the Hydra from Greek mythology is just wrecking and destroying. Uh, Batwoman's house and her her hideout and everything is destroyed and so Batwoman is ready to go just fight this Hydra monster monster and um, 
Wonder Woman stops her and is like, no, you can't do this. There's only like three people in the world who, or three beings in the world that could fight this. And, and, um, she's like, well, Wonder Woman's like, I'm one of them. So I'll go take care of it. You take care of the other thing. Um, and then they kind of moved along a little bit of the story with Medusa and the lost children. Um, it didn't move too long. The big news was that Flamebird is back and she makes her appearance. And I, I did like the artwork on her and I liked how they wrote her very insecure, very nervous for coming back, but still, you know, braving on. Um, and then they gave a little bit of backstory about, um, Medusa and, um, apparently they're getting all these children for a, another monster that's coming. Um, and Medusa calls her mother. My mother is coming, uh, which I forget the name of the monster, something like Cleo or something. So, um, I guess that'll be the big, um, fight in the next issue but overall it was pretty consistent with how the series has gone and the artwork is you know i i find it a pretty amazing as always um what's amazing too is how they can change like the weeping woman's art style is radically different from how they draw wonder woman which is different from batwoman um so to to be able to change that art style like that from panel to panel is really great. Um, so I would give this four things that Dan likes, which um, Dan is also a huge Guns N' Roses fan. So um, <laughs> four members of Guns N' Roses that Dan likes, but Dan hates because Dan likes the original lineup and Dan much prefers the new lineup with Buckethead and <laughs> some guys from other bands and, and having just Axel. Yeah. Uh, um, and so four out of five for that one. <laughs> nice. All right. So next up was Catwoman 16, but that issue is so bad that I think all of us have stopped reading it. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's kind of sad that as fans, really the only way we can like say that we don't like a book is to not buy it. And yeah. Uh, so, but, um, yeah, I don't think a letter to the editor works these days. So, you know, maybe if Catwoman sales drop, they'll do something. Cause the, um, Arrow, Green Arrow sales have been dropped, and that book was terrible. And now that they've got Jeff Lemire writing it, it looks like they're going in an entirely different direction. Um, and so hopefully maybe Catwoman at some point will get or be rejuvenated. But right now, I, I have not bought 16. And in fact, I, the podcast that I missed where you guys did sort of like around Christmas time, um, the, the only good thing I felt about missing that was you reviewed Catwoman 15, and I didn't have to buy that one either. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. Dane was the only one who was suckered into buying Batman or Catwoman 15, so it was yeah, a big he, mistake. He didn't seem too happy about yeah. it either, yeah. But speaking of other books that haven't been too good, Red Hood number 16. Now, this one you have read, Terrence. Yeah, you know, I bought this digitally, um, and the cover looked great. And so yeah, I was like, all right, I'm, I'm, I'm getting this cover. It's got the Red Hood mask with, like, the Joker smile on it. And I was like, all right, this is going to be, like, Jason Todd versus the Joker. Here we go. This will be good. And I figured, well, it's going to end like all the other Cat, um, not Cat, Batgirl and Robin and all, you know, it's going to end with, you know, Tim Drake. Yeah, I'm Tim Drake. Jason Todd being captured. Well, Jason Todd and the Joker weren't even in this issue. Um, the entire issue is, um, the Teen Titans teaming up with uh, Roy Harper and Starfire. And Starfire is barely in it, too. It's mainly a Roy Harper issue. Um, and it's Roy Harper trying to get the Teen Titans to listen to him 
following his directions and his leadership to fight a group of like homeless people who've been um taken over with joker toxin and it just seems kind of weird that these superheroes having are having so much trouble fighting these homeless people <laughs> um the artwork was mediocre it wasn't bad but it wasn't that great either there was nothing in it that i ever said wow look at that but then yet and it, it, it was kind of bad. Um, there was some really weird stuff in it. Now, luckily, this book will have a new writer soon. So I don't know if the new writer will completely abandon these storylines or will um, take over with them. But at one point in the middle of this fierce battle with the homeless jokers, um, uh, Red Arrow uh, starts having a flashback. And in this flashback, he, they don't say how long ago. It was just back then. And it's, um, you know, the, the backstory with Red Arrow is that he's had a substance abuse problem. Uh, and they never quite say what his drug or whether it was alcohol or what. But he wakes up to find that he's in the old hideout of the Toy Man. And he's in there with Killer Croc. And somehow, Killer it gets even where Killer Croc is taking care of him and wrapping up his bandages. And Killer Croc tells him that he's allowed to stay there for as long as he would like, as long as he remains in the AA program, Alcoholics Anonymous. What? <laughs> yeah. So this is the weirdest uh, portrayal of Killer Croc I have ever seen. And Killer Croc makes like the statement, like, I wasn't always a monster kid, but... Like, even in the animated series and stuff, they've portrayed him as not the nicest of guys, even yeah. before. Now, there's a lot of different origins with Killer Croc, and there's a lot of different things of how he became that way or born that way, but he's never been portrayed as a nice guy. So to have him, like, taking care of somebody and telling him, you need to stay in Alcoholics Anonymous was just bizarre. Um, so then Roy Harper shoots a special arrow that has some kind of... You know, I don't even know, but some kind of computer on it that can analyze blood, and he uses it to link up to his spaceship to find out what chemicals are nearby, and he realizes that there's a warehouse nearby where the Joker has um, stored the cure for his Joker toxin, which is kind of weird because I don't really remember Joker making cures for the to you know, toxin. You know, Joker's all about like yeah. just poisoning people and moving on. Batman usually does the cure making. <laughs> right. So, uh, Kid Flash and Starfire and Wonder Girl and this other Teen Titan, I don't even know her name, um, they rush over to this warehouse and there's these cardboard boxes that the Joker's written on it, cure, do not touch. Um, <laughs> And so then when they open it, the thing blows up. But luckily, Kid Flash is so fast. You know, he's not fast enough to beat up homeless jokers, but he is fast <laughs> enough to get the, the boxes out of there and save the three girls that were um, – or three women, I should say, that uh, were about to explode. Um, and uh, so then luckily for them, the Joker um, actually had all of the – cure in vials and syringes ready to go um and the, the their explanation for why he would have done that was roy harper says that crazy clown had all of these pre-dose pre-dosed was probably going to use them to hold the city hostage at some point so i don't know how you use the antidote to hold the city hostage it's just kind of a weird thing but um and then in the middle of all this they cut to a scene in st louis with hugo strange signing um his autograph uh at a book signing and then that's it it just says and he makes some kind of like 
snide comment to a woman. So apparently Hugo Strange has, is going to be in this somehow, some way. Um, and so then Kid Flash runs around, stabs all the Jokers. They get cured. And then it ends with Deathstroke the Terminator, of all things. Um, or I don't know if they call him Terminator anymore. I think they just call him Deathstroke. Um, and he says, like, he's an assassin. He's the best. He gets paid for what he does, but there's some jobs he'll do even for free. And it ends with, like, three of his daggers um, in the pictures, one in the picture of the Red Hood, one in Starfire, and one in uh, Roy Harper. So somehow Hugo Strange and Ter- Deathstroke are foreshadowed here, but I don't know if those are things that James Tinney and the Fourth will want to include as he takes over or it'll be wrapped up. And then the very last panel, it, it ends with um, – the Joker, and he's painting, and it looks like he's painting the inside of the Red Hood's mask. And he says, you know, it takes a little extra work, perfect. And then he puts it on Jason Todd, and he says, aha, a face only a mother could love. So the, those, that last page is the only Jason Todd-Joker interaction in the whole book. And Jason Todd doesn't even say anything. He's just laying there unconscious. And the Joker's got just a handful of lines. So Forgetting the cover, it was very disappointing, but it makes me wonder what they're putting on that hood, because then in the later, like the, the um, solicitations and everything, they had his mask all messed up and his face all messed up. So I don't know if Jason Todd is about to get messed up by the, the Joker, but um, overall, that was <laughs> Teen Titans 16. Uh, no need to buy it. Um, and um, I would give this, I would give it half a thing wow. that Dan yeah. <laughs> a half a thing that Dane or I'm saying it backwards here. Half a thing that Dan likes, but Dane doesn't like. And since Dane does not like the Lord of the Rings movies, we'll give him half a movie, which is still about seven hours in length. <laughs> so <laughs> Man, I when I went to the comic book shop I was flipping through it, like see if it's worth getting but then I didn't see there was no Joker, no Jason Todd in there. Just I saw the last page. I like, That's probably all I need to know. And the rest doesn't look like anything interesting to read. So I think I'm going to pass. And it looks like yeah. I made the right decision. I mean, it was almost worth it just for that weird cr- Killer Croc thing. Like, it's just like for the, what the heck is this? I didn't you even know? see that when I was flipping through it. I guess I just once flipped over too fast and I missed it. Yeah. Was, just, yeah, it sounds out of place and weird. Yeah. Killer Croc is someone's sponsor in the program. <laughs> that should be a new comic title, Killer Croc. Uh, trick. <laughs> yeah. All right. So uh, final comic we have for the week of January 23rd is Justice League number 16. Now, for this one, I thought it was pretty good, but not as good as the first part of the Thorn of Atlantis storyline. I mean, one thing that's been happening a lot in Justice League, which the uh, first time it kind of hit me as I was reading this, that seems like a lot of the Justice League members are always end up fighting each other. I mean, we had a lot yeah. of that in the first arc with Darkseid. Then you had Wonder Woman go up against Green Lantern in the uh, the second arc. And then we had Superman when he got bit by Cheetah. He was fighting the Justice League for a bit. And now they're going up against Aquaman because they think he failed to reason with uh, Ocean Master for attacking the service world. And they go, they're going to take him in, but Aquaman says, no, the only way to do this is if I reason with him or... I'm going to have to show him that I'm as strong as he is so like he can have my respect or something like that, which is why he's fighting him. Uh, this is starting to get a little too formulaic for me where, like, every big event, the Justice League members are always fighting one another. But the one thing I did like was when Ocean Master brought up the 
the Atlanteans to start their attack on the surface world. Then we get to see uh, Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman start fighting him. And my favorite moment of the issue is just when uh, they get uh, Wonder Woman trapped in like, like that uh, whirlwind, and then Superman comes in and just swoops her out, and then he just there's that really cool panel shot where the eye be- his eye beams are firing down at him, and he's boiling the water, which I thought was awesome. It was this great artwork. Yeah. Ivan Reese's artwork throughout the whole issue was fantastic, but that one was probably my favorite moment. Just love seeing Superman display his power like that. But as quickly as that was awesome, um, another disappointment I had was how quickly they got taken out. I mean, he, Ocean Master had uses his trident to use, summon some thunder and lightning, which electrocutes Superman, Wonder Woman, which, I don't know, I kind of felt these all these big members of the Justice League got taken out by the Atlanteans, who I think they can pretty easily handle, especially, especially Superman and Wonder Woman. And I think they should be able to handle a little shock <laughs> from Ocean yeah. Master to be able to take on these Atlanteans. And that brings uh, Cyborg, when he finds out that they're captured, he has to bring in, looks like, the reserve Justice League members. And we see the last page where on the screen it shows Green Arrow, Captain Marvel, Zatanna, Hawkman, Vixen, Black Canary, Firestorm, Black Lightning, and Element Woman, who I really haven't heard of, but she looks like almost like Metamorpho, like the female version of him. So it looks like that's where the story's going to go, where they're going to have to use the backup members to help them out. And I wonder, it's probably going to tie in a little bit to the Justice League of America title, I assume, because you got Green Arrow in there, who's going to be a part of that Justice League of America team. But the thing that, like I said, disappointed me most is how easily Superman, Wonder Woman, and Batman, and Aquaman were taken out by the Atlanteans, and they have to call in these reserve Justice League members. I, when it's just a battle of, of Atlanteans coming, I think they can easily handle it. And I know Green Lantern's off doing his own thing with the Third Army, but you think they can call in a Green Lantern to help uh, (laughs) with this threat, too, because I think a Green Lantern can easily handle some Atlanteans with Superman and Wonder Woman. So just things like that is what kind of bugged me a little bit about this issue. And the backup with uh, Captain Marvel was pretty cool again. I mean, we finally got to see him fight Black Adam, which was pretty cool. And I liked how uh, he got out of it by going back to turning to Billy Batson and then Black Adam couldn't find him. But I thought some uh, Captain Marvel had some good dialogue, like, well, your suit is black. It's way cooler than mine. Yeah. <laughs> Instead of talking like how any could would. So that was pretty cool. But overall, like I said, it was good, but not as great as the first two parts of the Throne of Atlantis storyline. So I'm probably going to give it three things out of five that Dan likes but Dan hates. Yeah, and, you know, my review is probably going to sound exactly like yours. I was thinking <laughs> the exact same thing of that Jeff Johns is kind of repeating himself. And I kind of the, – the whole idea of a team-up book is seeing them team up and, you know, having to work as a team. Um, and I, I had high hopes for Jeff Johns because I loved his Justice Society run. But even in that, he had them fight each other a few times. But this is just kind of get the whole Aquaman fighting was just kind of a little ridiculous. They Batman got taken out way too early. He was just yeah. done. He just basically lays on the floor half the time. Um, and then you know Superman and Wonder Woman getting taken out with a bolt of lightning was kind of weak. Um, and I, I feel like. I heard Bruce Tim in an interview one time talking about Justice League, and he said his biggest regret was that they made they they fell into this habit of making Superman look weak because yeah. they'd always take him out, especially yeah. season one, right? And their idea at the time was like trying to show how powerful these villains are. Like, look how powerful this guy is. He took Superman out, but instead it just made Superman look weak. Yep. 
And I think Jeff Johns is trying to say, look how powerful the Atlanteans are. Look how powerful Orm is. You know, he took out Wonder Woman and Superman, but it just makes it look weak. It just, you know, I would have preferred, I would have preferred you just have like him make a tidal wave destroying Metropolis where Superman has to go save everybody yeah. and, and he's not there. Which is what we got in the first part, which was great. But right. Then we got this, yeah. Then have him, them fighting Aquaman and all this. Um, at the end, when they call in the they call in the backup Justice League, um, the one thing that Element Woman you mentioned, I'm kind of excited about seeing her because she is from um, the Flashpoint series, and I really enjoyed the Flashpoint, um, which seems like a long time ago. Yeah. But, uh, I think it was just two summers ago uh, when they rebooted the whole new Fifty Two, and they really have not taken much out of the flashpoint and and the whole flashpoint revolved around a war with the atlanteans as well um and where they destroyed pretty much half of europe um and and the amazons were fighting as well and i think they had taken over great britain um this gold rush i have no idea who that is in there as well uh, but element woman made her debut in, in that flashpoint miniseries so i'm kind of wondering with her are they going to bring in some flashpoint stuff and um how much of that trinity war that they have planned as their new big crossover at some point will involve any of the the flashpoint stuff uh and as like you said the backup was good with um um, Shazam, and I, I did like that line too. Of like, your costume's cooler than mine, which was a pretty good line for a kid. Um, but overall, um, ho- I'm hoping it'll get better. I hope it'll have a better conclusion. Um, but I would give this. I think the art saves it because the art is really good. Yeah, really Story wise, was was weak. Um, and you know they they haven't really moved the story along much. They've been standing in the rain, you know, for this issue and Aquaman's issue, and it hasn't really been moving that much. Um, so I, yeah, I would give this two and a half things that uh, Dan likes, but Dane does not like because Dane is the Bizarro Dan. They're, they're the opposites of each other. <laughs> That's so, why yeah. he has the E at the end of his name. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So let's go take care of all the comics for that week, but the one thing I wanted to mention, too, was, I don't know if you had a chance to read it, but I downloaded the first issue of uh, the Injustice Gods Among Us uh, tie-in comic by Tom Taylor. Uh, It's only available digitally right now, so I downloaded the first part. It was actually uh, pretty good. I really liked it. Since they don't have to worry about continuity or anything, he's taking some liberties as far as handling different characters. I mean, the plot of it is that uh, Superman finds out that Lois is pregnant, and he's real excited about it. This is a cool moment where he goes to Batman and goes, I have some like, exciting news. And Batman goes, Lois is pregnant, isn't she? He's like, how did you know? <laughs> he's like, there's all this reason how he could tell by the expression on his face and how excited he is. It was just, and it ended pretty cool where Lois and Jimmy are about to, to report on like some, I think it was like a drug shipment or weapon shipment, something like that was going down on the docks. And as they find out the person that was supposed to be there ends up being the Joker, and you just see him shoot Jimmy point blank in the face where he's dead. It was like, and it just ends that way where he just gets to reveal that the person who killed Jimmy was the Joker. It was just a pretty cool twist and taking some liberties with the character since it's out of continuity, like I said, and it's kind of cool to see that. It's nothing too drastic where you, it takes you out of why you like those characters, but it just puts them in different scenarios that are pretty cool. So I haven't gotten the second issue yet, but probably going to download it soon. I, Definitely recommend it. Yeah, I did not get that, but I'll definitely check it out. Yeah, they've got one and two up uh, on the website right now. So, yep, sounds yeah. cool. 
you know, see how much it ties into the game. <laughs> yeah. All right, so but that's it. That's pretty much going to do it for this episode. So um, don't forget you can check us out on our host site, The Batman Universe, at thebatmanuniverse.net. You can also find them on Facebook at facebook.com slash thebatmanuniverse, and also on Twitter with the Twitter handle at batmanuniverse. You can also find us on iTunes. There's also all the other Batman Universe podcasts on there. You can also rate and review us. Those are always much appreciated. And also, if you have any questions or comments, just go ahead and send us an email over at batfans27 at gmail.com. We'd appreciate that. It's always good to hear feedback, good or bad, <laughs> and we'll, of course, read it on the air. So um, with that, that's going to do it. I'm not going to have a long goodbye like Dane usually does, but <laughs> I don't want to steal his thunder. So yeah, we'll see you next time, everybody. So long, and um, we'll see you, and uh, thanks for listening. All right. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, going on about Stella. That's kind of funny. That's his stick. Yeah. So don't want to steal it. <laughs> well, thanks for uh, recording an hour later today. I appreciate that. So. Oh yeah, no problem. And thanks for not making me not have to buy Catwoman. <laughs> <laughs> Feel free not to buy Red Hood anymore either. <laughs> yeah. Wait, actually, when James Tinian picks starts up, I may I may see what he does with it, but um, it'll be interesting. Yeah, I'll wait for your uh, review on it. <laughs> okay, yeah. I'm starting to have to get a little more uh, selective what I get with my colleagues now. <laughs> Fight it. Yeah. I'm weed out the ones that just aren't good. Yeah, I hear you. So right now it's mainly just like that. Good bad titles. Green Lantern is pretty much it. And I just, just actually promise this is good. Even that, I'm wondering. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. I'm alone tonight.